Hello, everybody. Welcome back to OP is OP, the podcast where we go through the One Piece manga front to back. One of us, myself, for the first time. As always, I am Justin, the super rookie of the One Piece series, joined by my co-host, the super veteran, Justin. Hello. This week we are finishing the Alabasta arc. Last time we left off at chapter 179, and today we are closing up this arc at chapter 217. So, if you have not read up to that point or watched the corresponding anime episodes, you may want to do so before listening, because we are going to be spoiling absolutely everything. And, before we get started, we want to give a big thank you to Chase, who did the work on the spectacular artwork that is now our logo, which you have probably seen. You can find Chase at Chase Cubed on Twitch and Instagram, and Chase the Gremlin on Twitter to show some support for an absolutely amazing anime artist. Thank you so much. Now, let's begin. <sighs> very, very beginning. So, we left off. Very big cliffhanger. Straw Hat's going to Alabarn. Uh, Crocodile heading there, too. And Miss All Sunday, or Nico Robin in this case, like, you know, going off on her own. But it starts off right away, actually, with her, Miss All Sunday, saving Luffy. Right. So... Right away, it's art starting off like, okay, so she's is she not super villainy? What's the deal here? What's the ulterior motive? And it's still like even a little unclear to even this point as someone who's finished Alabasta, because her reasoning is why do you fight as one of those whose name is D. So again, we have that reaffirmed that D yes. is this important family name, this important clan, this important this important philosophy, I don't know at this point. But she saves him and then Goes to rejoin Crocodile, and then while Luffy is just crying for meat. <laughs> yeah. With this gaping wound in his chest. That's what he needs. Meat, meat to heal. <laughs> or a nap. Yeah, it's definitely like, it's almost, it's almost like Luffy is definitely like in video game roles at this point, because apparently eating oh, yeah. food is enough to heal you at this point. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, just chow down on Sky food. Like logic. A, yeah, RPG. Like, oh man, I just got blasted by this nuke, but I uh, got this defense buff that had me 1 HP, like second chance from Kingdom Hearts. Oh, let me just chow down this giant uh, ham on a stick. Or yeah, don't worry, I got stick. a wheel of cheese. I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> wheel of cheese, exactly. I'm good to go. Well, regardless, he was beaten last time. And because of that, he's going to be gone for like half his arc. Where he's going to be trying to catch up, trying to heal up or rest a little bit. Yeah, we get a long stretch there where Luffy is absent. Exactly. Like There's going to be like 20 chapters in a row where we do not even see his face. He's mentioned a few times. But... He's going to be gone for a loss of this arc. The Straw Hats continue, learn that Barack works. They set up agents in place on both sides. There's a scene, I think I ha we see it later, but there's a scene where, you know, the rebels are outside the capital. Yeah, it does happen later. The rebels are outside the capital, and, like, there's an agent that accidentally misfires when they're trying to stir up some shit. And right. There's like, yeah, there's like this full on conspiracy we mentioned before where, yeah, Barack Works is literally has a, a insider agents on both sides willing to keep pushing the tension, keep stirring the pot when things seem to be calming down a little bit. And yeah, it's like, again, just reaffirming how great of a villain Crocodile is. Yeah, I was going to say basically the same thing. Crocodile, he really covered all of his angles here, which we see again with the whole clock tower sequence at like the end kind of this climax. He just really mm -hmm. accounted for everything. He had it all going for him, but as everyone knows and expects, Luffy and the Straw Hats are just here to, to mess all those beautiful plans up. 
for better or for worse, because every single time they do go to an island, things tend to get exciting, whether the people like it there or not. Yeah. But in this case, <laughs> in this case, it was incredibly helpful because even if the Straw Hats weren't, if they, especially if the Straw Hats weren't here, this plan would have been almost like a foolproof plan um, going through. It might still be. I don't know. Um, so where we left off, as you said, we saw like the little Luffy scene and then mm-hmm. with Luffy and Nico Robin. And then with the rest of the crew, basically this scene following is their assault on Alabasta, right? Sorry, they, 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 I said basically what follows that almost immediately, based on my notes at least, is mm. the, the their assault on Alabasta, where they meet up with the rest of Karu, let's go, and the rest <laughs> of his duck buddies, the supersonic duck squad, gang gang, mm-hmm. to like charge into Alabasta and basically really uh, kickstart the climax. Yeah, there were six ducks that show up of the of the supersonic squadron, um, and then yes. just there to help the straw hats. But like, there are not six straw hats there, and there's they're just there to um, you know assist with like the next part of the plan because you have the top agents of Barack Works waiting for them because they know the straw hats are coming, but they they're not sure exactly. Going again with the theme of intel and the the importance of information where they believed that there were only four straw hats to expect, but they see six ducks running well, to them from the distance. Isn't it five at this point? I got your phone. Oh, no, I, th- I think you might be right, because they're, uh, they're still not on the chopper. Uh, no, I but think it's because they expected... they are on the Mr. Prince. They expected, yeah, so they are, they're not expecting chopper again. Um, not yeah. to mention eyelashes is on one of them, the camel. Yeah, because yeah, they are expecting Vivi, so I think they're expecting five. The six is kind of a faint. And obviously, yeah, they used eyelashes. Mm-hmm. He, he does. He does a good job. You know, he's, he's he a good a, boy too. He's part of the decoy. He's part of the decoy. He helps. Yeah, he's part of the decoy. He helps out. Um, As all split up. says later, he's he's a special camel. You know. Yeah, exactly. He like all the animals, especially on Alabasta, are like they have enough uh, sentience, enough intelligence to actually go along with it. They're like Pokemon, where they just they know enough to go on, but they can't just speak English like you and I. But they know what's going on. Um, they might as well be. They're so expressive in their facial expressions and all that. Oda does a great. Oh yeah, job I'm not complaining. It that's so fun. Absolutely. Yeah, especially mm-hmm. because uh, we we kind of sit over it a little bit, but basically, um, the part of the Straw Hats when they're trying to cross the river to Al- uh, to Alabar and they get help again from the uh, the Kung Fu Jugons from Luffy befriended earlier. They helped yeah. them deal with like like the the river catfish and help them get across. Um, Coming back, yeah, to that, that was that was a good moment actually. I did have a mm-hmm. note on it, but I did I kind of forgot about mentioning that. Yeah, because I, I like loyal, that team comes back yeah, the around. Lo- the loyal Jugons just going to help out. Um, mm-hmm. So the uh, Straw Hats split up right there in Alabasta, uh, uh, yeah, Alabarn, the capital, and yeah. they they split up into three different sections. We get like a, again an overhead map of like there are like eight entry points in the capital, but from their direction, they want to focus on west, south east, sorry, yeah, west, southwest, and south gates. And so they split up in like two different teams, three different teams. And so the agents split up too to try and keep take them on because they don't know where Vivi is. Their main objective is to kill, stop and kill Vivi. Yeah. Um, somehow, this is a nitpick I have. Then the agents instant transmission to intercept the straw hats at each of the spots, like very quickly. It might have been like just a passage of time, but it was literally a flip page where it's like, okay, we got to catch up to them. And then next page, it's literally, okay, here are these two against these two. Here is this against this. So either way, the plan works where like maybe the straw hats were literally waiting in their preferred areas to fight and they caught up to them and be like, all right, we're going to stop you here. But mm-hmm. it splits up the agents and 
some fights are like quick and out of the way. Like I remember eyelashes and Usopp were together at one point and they just get yeah. beaten in record time. Um, but, but yeah, basically it's, they split up and try to match, um, distract them enough long enough for Vivi, who was actually waiting like in the back for the decoy to work to actually, again, go directly South and try and intercept Koza and the, and the charging rebels. So that was actually a really good plan going on. We're yeah. trying to split them off. There that was, was really no cool reveal. Yeah, there was no, uh, yeah. So again, with information going on, uh, the, the agents there, you probably think like, why wouldn't they leave like a sentry behind me? Like one person to keep track of like, okay, is this it? But because they already had six ducks spotted six people instead of only the four they expected, they assumed, okay, right away. This is, this is all of them plus two where in reality, Vivi and Karu were actually waiting just far enough back to actually, uh, join in or try to intercept into the South. So it was actually a great plan. Uh, again, the, the whole message of information because the Barack Wars thought they had all the intel at that point and they thought they were behind act on that. But even then they were shorter than what they expected. So it made them, it made them forced into this bad mistake that they did here. Right. And then mm -hmm. basically we were in the fight territory immediately. There's a few mm -hmm. intercut scenes like where VV, it goes, it always flashes back to VV in between every fight, but I figure we'll mm -hmm. save that for its kind of own section. At the end yeah. of the fight. So, yeah, so chronologically, the right first fight we get is Usopp and Chopper. The team up versus right. Mr. Four and this Merry yeah, Christmas. Merry Christmas, Mr. Four and Lasu. I think that's the dog. Um, or sorry, yeah, the gun. Lassu. The gun. It's the gun. It's not the dog. It's the gun. Um, I mean, if that is correct, it, it is not a dog. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, an, it's an important lore bit that they had to emphasize that it was a gun that was fed the dog dog fruit, I think it was called. Um, and I don't know how exactly you feed it, but I'm guessing like if you just find a small enough fruit, you you like force it into the chamber of the gun. Like if you're loading like an old pistol, like, oh, that counts as eating it. And so the, now the gun is becoming a dog dog because it's a mutation fruit, right? It's, it's kind of like I a chopper eight. I don't think it's that simple, but I don't know. Oh, yeah, but basically, yeah, again, we don't know. They didn't show us. The, the Miss, Miss Mary Christmas was really trying to explain it to Usopp and Chopper. And they're yeah, I had the same doing right now. that Usopp did, honestly. When Usopp How? was talking to, I think, Miss Mary Christmas, right? He's like, yeah, yeah. that still doesn't make sense because the yeah. double fruit shouldn't have a mind of its own. So how is it yeah. like, actually a living dog? This and is Miss, interesting. And then Miss Mary Christmas was just like, because shut up, okay? It's cool. We have a gun yeah. with a dog, okay? <laughs> Go yeah, basically, she's like, "Yeah, really cool. Shut up." Yeah, so I'm like, "Okay, whatever. I'll I'll be with that." Um, I actually categorize these by fight by fight too, so I have like these important bits here. That's good. Um, yeah, I'm splitting the fight sections. Yeah, so spoilers of of the fight, Usopp and Chopper win this one. Um, but throughout the fight, we see some really good moments throughout where we see Chopper fight more like a traditional Shonen character. He has like the internal thought process where he's thinking of like possible weaknesses or possible planning. Mm -hmm. um, you actually mentioned it in, I think Drum Island where, or maybe it was off recording. I don't remember which that show uh, one piece compared to other Shonen. The characters don't really think to themselves a lot during the fighting sequences. They're usually yeah. yelling at it talking to each other like their opponents, which I prefer much more myself, but Chopper, it makes sense that he would be the more of a character to think internally. What do I do next? Cause he's literally like, trying to use this human suit, human, human intellect from the fruit of himself as well going, okay, how do I deal with these guys? They have unique powers. What's the best course of action here? And you hear, you see a thought process going on. Um, yeah, that was a, that was a good moment to have the thought process on, I think to show yeah, it to I, us. Sorry. Sorry to, uh, to reaffirm it. Um, 
I think the difference that I like to hear, and not because of the in typical shonen, where for Chopper it makes sense for him more because he uses intellect over natural fighting instinct. We see yeah, Luffy, Zoro, they have this natural fighting instinct. Usapa Nami, they have this natural instinct to flee, you know, before fighting. They will fight if they have to, but they'll flee if necessary first. Where Chopper, he uses intellect to figure out the next course of action. So it, it could be a flaw in the future, obviously, if he's fighting against people who are very aggressive. But again, it's showing this very distinct difference of how Chopper fights. And I actually really do appreciate this distinct in how the characters fight. Yeah, and I did, uh, I actually made a note. Because I, I know, I think I mentioned in Drum that the way Chopper utilizes his devil fruit is just really, always really on point. In this fight, it's especially noticeable mm-hmm. how he transforms to fit the situation. Like when Mr. Ford, he has his baseball bombs, he right. shoots one, and it's like about to hit Usopp, so Chopper transforms into his reindeer form so he can run over there and like scoop Usopp out of the way. Then he transforms into his hybrid form to like dodge a blow at his head till he shrinks down, you know? And every time he goes for a big hit, he transforms into his human form to get like the extra strength. So I, I really loved that aspect of this fight for Chopper, since we really get to see him struggle in this fight, whereas in the other mm-hmm. fight, he kind of wrecked his opponent in his first fight. It, it makes me sad that a lot of Shonen series have like their own versions of like transformation sequences, but I feel like just watching these last two fights with Chopper, it's like, this is how you do it, where not any one of these forms is completely broken and overpowered compared to others, but it's tied in with Chopper's ability to think on the fly because it's intellect yeah, and uh, transform accordingly. So like you mentioned earlier, um, where Chopper transforms accordingly, like there's a part where he's also about to be hit by a baseball hit from Mr. Four to him. And he shrinks down to his regular form and goes, all right, I could just be normal too. Like he's figuring out too, as he's going mm-hmm. on. And then like Miss McCruz is like, what? Yeah. And so like also provides him the advantage on fighting because the, opponents are facing they like they actually don't know how many forms does this guy have they don't know like what can he do but we're, we're praising chopper of course but let's not forget about usopp usopp also has this amazing looney tunes moments that i just love mentioning over and over again <laughs> honestly he- in the way that we say in in this upcoming fight especially how sanji's character trait of being like a woman lover is his weakness mm-hmm. in this fight usopp's bluffing is is his strength and it's actually useful in some ways in yeah. combat here It definitely, it's a contrast to Chopper using, like, intellect of what's the best course of action to fight and using, like, what, like, literal strength he has or transformation. Usopp's like, let me do the mental warfare. Let me do, let me fool them into thinking, like, I am this incredibly strong person who can hold, like, this two-ton, five-ton hammer. Five-ton hammer. (laughs) Something like that. Like, like, it's just just a hammer with, like, the writing on it. It's just literally a balloon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and then he starts having this whack-a-mole moment with Miss Merry Christmas, because after all, she has, like, the mole-mole fruit, I think. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I'm super strong. One blow from this hammer, and you're done. Force them to be, like, on the defensive for a second, and it's great. He has, like, these crazy reactions when he's seeing, like, these baseballs or Lasu fighting. He has, like, the, the big jaw drop where his mouth is sticking out, and the jaw is super low, and his eyes are sticking out. Again, he does this over and over again, but for some reason... It doesn't get old when Oda does this with Usopp. Like the, all these Looney Tune moments, where just it just happens at the right time. It, it never makes he switches old. it up in the perfect ways every time. Like, and it gets almost more ridiculous. Usopp's lies, and that makes it funnier in some way. You know, it just works. Yeah, I think that's why I really like this running gag with Usopp compared to like Sanji's like pervertedness. Where Sanji, it happens like every time he sees a woman. Whereas Usopp, it's like they save the golden reactions for like the incredible fights or like the just the key moments. 
I still remember Arlong Park where he's like stiff as a board behind the wall looking over like a Scooby-Doo character. I still remember that one in particular yeah. with Usopp sticking out. But um, we do have, like we're, we're praising Usopp and Chopper in these, in these fights, but it does not go smoothly. Like this actually is both the great part and the bad part about this fight is there is some really bad battle damage occurring that happens where Merry yeah. Christmas and four get an edge on Usopp again with his Looney Tunes moments where Merry Christmas is dragging him and he goes through like these solid, like concrete walls and you just get like this perfect silhouette of like his nose sticking out and everything. So like, it's funny at first, but I mentioned it to you last week, actually where they oversold the damage where they expressed that Usopp and Nami are the normal straw hats in terms of strength. It, when it comes to like battle damage or wounds or stamina, they are not superhumans. They're not superheroes. So the moment where Merry Christmas gets the edge and drags Usopp towards four, who is known to carry like this giant actual five ton bat um, or something like that. And just yeah, goes with a, a, a cleanup hit. So Merry Christmas is dragging Usopp like a speed of a baseball throne. And then four swings at a skull, like full contact. And he flies and they even have, like, the x-ray effect where they show, like, the skull getting cracked. Yeah, it's and... like a Mortal Kombat fatality. <laughs> like at that Almost, moment. yeah. Like, like, like an x-ray special move, yeah. And at that point, you're like, okay, if this was, like, Zoro, Sanji, or Luffy, you're like, oh, they're going to be down for the count, but they're not dead. But when it's Usopp, I was thinking, like, okay, he's a main character, so he's not going to be dead, but he should be dead. Like, it was a, it's a nitpick I have where he, Oda was over, oversold on the crippling damage that Usopp got from this. Now, this does cripple him for the rest of the arc, where he does, like, one last great tag team combo at the very end of the fight uh, while he's still conscious. But, again, like, they really oversold where it's, like, they established that he is mortal, not this insane superhuman, and he's still wounded. But, obviously, the reason why he was able to still be conscious and still fight on is because during this sequence of events, May Christmas was trying to drop the ball, the bomb that, oh, we got intel that you're Captain Luffy. Yeah, he ate shit. He's dead in the sand. Like, your captain is nothing. And Usopp was trying to reassure Chopper and himself, you have to believe. Like, if you have nothing to believe in, you're nothing, right? So keep that in your passion. It's the it's the shonen trope of the willpower, right? Willpower gives you strength. Yeah. And it's cranked to an 11 right here. It doesn't give him super strength or anything like that, but it prevents him from <laughs> passing out or dying. So I'm mixed about this, right? Where it's like... I, I do agree with you there. You could have just as easily had him take that hit and not shown his skull cracking, which would have made it a little bit better, you know? Yeah. But he did oversell it. Or, or maybe not like a clean hit. Like maybe he like yeah. tried to dodge at the last second, so maybe like he kind of got... He didn't get the full blunt of the attack. Like, maybe it was his arm that gets hit or something like that. Even then, he wouldn't be able to do this. Oh, yeah, he could have, like, bent his knees and it grazes the top of his head, you know, so still a pretty painful yeah. hit, but not full-on contact Yeah, we got. Yeah, something like that. Because, again, they, they really established that... I, I'm repeating myself, sorry. But, yeah, that Usopp is a normal character, and so they oversold that hit. But it still makes a great moment in the end where... They get the edge because Chopper realizes, oh, we just have to uh, figure out how to... Because Mr. Four, they established throughout the arc that he's a little bit slow 
where he's like, the, you know, the, the big, strong, dumb guy, right? In the Shonen movies. Mm-hmm. He's kind of, he, he fits that role perfectly. And he's quite literally on the slow side because they managed to, uh, like you said, the uh, chopper transforms. We see the big horn enhanced mode. He actually picks up Merry Christmas and charges towards Mr. Four. Usopp, still conscious, yells out the command. I had it written down here. Shoot. Mole Town cleanup hitter, which is what she would always yell when, about, you know, for Mr. Four to swing. And so he hears it and swings right at Miss Merry Christmas, knocks her yeah. out, shocks Mr. Four going, oh, shit. And then we get this great tag team where Chopper still has his horns. I don't know where he got the rope, but that's not important here. Yeah. Usopp <laughs> uses the horns as a major slingshot and... We established, and they, he tried to bluff with the hammer being like two tons. It's still five pounds. Like, it's still a good heavy projectile. A good yeah, enough, it's still right? got two frying pans on the ends of it. You know, it's still got a little bit of weight. Yeah, and it has momentum with this major slingshot that he's firing. He fires it at uh, four. It gets Lasso as well, and they all collide at the wall, and they win the fight. Usopp collapses. Chopper immediately goes into doctor mode, and end of the fight, right? And I just while uh while Usopp was getting dragged around, his quote when he when they said that Luffy got beaten, like and that Miss Merry Christmas was mocking Luffy's yeah. dream to become the Pirate King. That I think is the best Usopp quote so far. Which condensing it, you know, there comes a time like when you have to fight, and it's when someone makes fun of your friend's dream. I really yeah. really loved that quote as a great moment for Usopp. Absolutely, I do agree with that moment. Uh, being amazing for Usopp because it has him, you know, it's we talked about Usopp trying to handle fear and bravery and him being actually a very brave character. In this case, he's fighting against characters and he's on death's door at this point, which I guess was why they try to oversell the, uh, you know, him on death's door to make this moment yeah. more powerful because at this point when he's giving that speech, he's bleeding all over. He's got a like major concussion. His nose is broken. Like, his irises are gone. Like, they try to really sell it, but, you know, he's convinced he's unbroken at this point. It's a great character moment, but it was just mixed in with a little bit too much on the physical power side. Still yeah, a great I moment agree with that. I completely. Yeah. So it's a nitpick, but at the end of the day, it doesn't hurt the fight. Great conclusion. Uh, What's the next fight? Is it Sanji and Mr. Two? Sanji and Mr. Two next, yeah. All right, So we okay. cut into that fight, like, just in media res. They're already mm-hmm. crossing kicks. Kicks ironically or interestingly seems to also be mr two's forte yeah despite wearing the big poofy like clown pants but having like the exposed hairy skinny legs <laughs> yeah. mr two is a very interesting character um design wise like i don't want to say he's another clown character but he's another clown character but he does have his own unique personality in that he's not like a crazy loony like a like a he looks buggy. more like a like a some kind of circus performer than a clown to me, but that's irrelevant. Yeah, I was gonna say clowns are performers too, but I I, I get what you mean. He seems more like a like a friendly performer, where but he, it seems like you know Krusty the Clown from Simpsons, where he's like, right, just get out of my way, don't make fun of my nose. <laughs> so Mr. this two, fight is not. Oh wait, my bad. Continue. Well, I was gonna say, and then Mr. Two um, is again like the the more the, is seemingly the better performer, but he we also see that he's not very a good personality too. Like earlier in the first half, where he's just like just abusing people's bodies, where he's like, "Oh, look, I can turn into females too. See, look at their boobs," kind of thing. But so like he's not perfect, but he does have this really strange sense of friendship and morality that we'll get to later. They are equally skilled, right? They're matching kicks. They have like these great poses where 
They're yeah. kicking him in the air. They get solid hits on each other. It's kind of like the Goku cell fight in Dragon Ball Z where they, like, they get good clean hits in on each other while they're fighting. 100%, yeah. And it seems like they're equally matched. Mr. Two will have like this new ability, this new kind of technique. I do want to say real quick, he does have a fight with a very interesting style. He calls it the swan style. But I'm thinking like, that's just Northern praying mantis, dude. Like, don't don't beat around the bush. <laughs> yeah, basically. Like, you, he has his arms out, but his hands are completely bent, like in a, like, uh, like an almost like a 180 degree angle or 90 degree angle. Sorry, like a, you know what I mean? An angle. And yeah, it's praying mantis style. You, you probably have an image in your head when you hear that, listeners. Yeah, ex- you're right. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, uh, not Southern praying mantis, by the way. That's how Toph fights in Avatar Last Airbender. She has a hand sticking up and the palms facing to her. Uh, Northern praying mantis is like, think like a praying mantis, where you have like the arms curved and then your hands pointing straight down. It allows you to be more flexible when you're fighting. And they actually showed it off in the fight where he's... Um, like missing a, a punch to Sanji, but then he's curving his hand and angling it so that at least maybe he can get a jab at the neck or something. I did appreciate that, those little mitts, before it got, you know, too crazy with the powers later on. <laughs> yeah, because basically, like I, I was going to say, the choreography is not amazing. It's not, there's no really great character moments. It mainly comes down to the fact that Mr. Two figures out that Sanji is totally, completely unable to hit him or when his face is copying Nami. Yeah, or in this case, I think it would be fair to say any woman, but yeah, it, it drives a point more at home right. when he's turning into Nami because he tries to fool him like going, oh, you wouldn't punch a straw hat, would you? And he turns to Usopp first yeah. and then Sanji <laughs> has no deal. He calls, he tries to be like this great hero character and go, it's on the inside is what counts. I know you're still Mr. Two. And you're like, right. oh, okay, cool, Sanji, cool character moment. And then Mr. Two calls him out immediately by turning to Nami. And then Sanji's the part that I hated most about this character, because it's really oh, I actually threw third arm earlier. Um, about like his over like his overwomanizing behavior, his, his misogynistic behavior. And it's actually a weakness in this fight, like a very clear handicap against him. Because Mr. Two turns to Nami, and then Sanji is just stops what he's doing. He's doing the Jiraiya perv heart face eyes kind of thing. And Mr. Mm-hmm. Two goes, oh, great. Free kick, right? And he gets a clean hit. Mr. Two cranks the perviness dial to an 11, where he's like, oh, it's so hot. Sanji, help me take out these clothes. And yeah. then Sanji is struggling because he knows it's still Mr. Two, but it's still like, uh, you need help. Like, he's, he's, he's struggling. Like, he's like, is, is, you need help with that? And then San- Mr. Two is just getting more hits in. Um... I kind of wish how, because of that term events, I kind of wish Sanji lost this fight because of that. I really wanted this weakness to like hammer in the head that this is not okay behavior. And I want it to be mm-hmm. a character moment, but eventually it's, it goes to Sanji being showing off, having a good natural fighting instinct, right? Where he goes, Oh, when I'm getting kicked, it's not Nami kicking me. It's Mr. Two. I realize you have to turn back into your form and the actual, the logic behind that is actually really smart. Sorry, really clever, a better word for it. Where yeah. Mr. Two explains that he only has to, he only can only fight in his own form because it's what he's most comfortable with. It's like, yeah, of course, if you're used to training at the gym in your favorite tank top and shorts or something, then that's going to be your workout gear. It's going to be your fighting gear, essentially, right? It's what you're used to. In Mr. Right. Two's case, he's literally transforming different into different body types, different forms. So it's like, yeah, I'm not used to fighting in this body. I'm used to fighting in my body. 
So he sees it like as like this weighted clothing, but it doesn't give him an edge when he strips it. It just gives him, you know, that. I feel like it's possible to some extent as well that copying Nami's mu- like muscle musculature would weaken mm-hmm. him as well. They didn't explicitly say it, but I that's kind of my head canon, right? Well, either yeah, either way, because he could still fight in those other forms. He just chooses not to because one, he's more comfortable, and two, yeah, in this case with Nami, he's physically weaker. But yeah. as far as we know, but um, I assume, yeah. Either way, this gives way for Mr. Two's weakness in his way he fights, where he has to be himself. And Sanji picks up that, oh, you have to tap your face, and then immediately your quirk, your quirk, oh my god, your power cancels <laughs> out. <laughs> sorry, I'm a My Hero fan, okay? I'm sorry. Um, he cancels out his power by tapping his face. So instead of doing the whole hand trick that he's used to doing, he just taps himself to go back to normal, so he gets, like, keeps that speed, that momentum. So the fight actually ends in a very funny way where Saji just goes, hey, what's that on your cheek when he's Nami? And then he goes, wait, where? Because earlier Saji was making fun of him for having this ugly face because one of Mr. Two's tricks was trying to intimidate him with like the ugliest face imaginable. Oh yeah, that that moment is worthy of mention because it was basically (laughs) just his face with Usopp's nose. (laughs) And I was like, that's 90% you, dude. And then Mr. Two is like, oh, it's so sad. Again, like of... I, I think I, I mentioned that several times, especially during Middle Garden. I'm not a huge fan of the Brock Works Agents characters. I really am not, especially Mr. Three. I did not like that character. Mr. Two is a very opposite of that. Where it's like, this is a very entertaining villain slash opponent kite side character. Yeah. He, and either way, he ha- he has that moment where it built up to that rather than just like being like this nonchalant like distraction that somehow works. But it's like, oh, okay, so he's self-aware. He's like, he's like self, like his self-confidence is like wavering a bit against Sanji where it's like, Oh, I'm actually mm. the hideous person. And then Sanji just goes, Hey, what's that on your cheek? And he goes, wait, where he taps his face. Yeah. <laughs> Nami turns back into Mr. Two. And then Sanji just, just gets this clear cut kick, knocks him down. Sanji wins the count, takes the goggles back, fools Mr. Two into thinking, Oh, we can totally be friends. Right. Totally friends. Right. But Sanji's not that. He's not that type of character. He actually wasn't one of the straw hats originally in, in the early beginning of this arc that was befriending Mr. Two when he was on the ship. It was that was Luffy, Usopp, and Chopper, I think, right? Yeah. So, so Sanji would, of course, not be that type of character to be one of those three. Be like, oh yeah, we're totally friends. He would be the type to be like, dude, just give me Usopp's goggles back, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Gets it back. So, great conclusion to that fight. Um, I did appreciate that huge character flaw that I despise being a good weakness against him. But the way it concluded, it didn't seem like it's gonna, in the end, go anywhere. I hope it's expressed again in the future. I hope this isn't dropped where it become like this funny little gimmick for this fight. I really do hope that this bad personality is called out again in the future for Sanji and not saying he should turn a new leaf and become completely good, but it should be addressed. It's a weakness regardless. And I like character right. development. I like these characterization moments. So hopefully in the future we get this with Sanji because Sanji's doing very good in these last two arcs of going from the bottom of my shit list to, okay, you're a good straw hat now. You're at the bottom, mm-hmm. but you're a straw hat. So he had another good moment here too, like in between the end of his fight and later, when you see that like the little flashback between Usopp, it's like, okay, if you're putting me with this camel, Sanji, you gotta come save me later. And Sanji's like, ah, no way. But we do see that after this, he does actually go to find Usopp, and he was gonna help if if they hadn't already won, which I like that moment. That's true too. Yeah, all, all the straw hats of intervening to help each other out once their fights are done. But because they're all happening at the same time simultaneously, 
they don't actually come in to assist, which I kind of thought was going to happen with Sanji. I thought he was going to be beaten to a pulp for Mr. Two because of the Nami uh, disguise. And then he would have to be saved by by Chopper or something. Right. That's what I thought originally was going to happen. It didn't happen, but I'm not disappointed by that. I was just predicting that yeah. would happen. But yeah, great moments with uh, Sanji. He comes in to save the day, both because initially he saves Mr. No, he saves Vivi from Mr. Two, right? Because Vivi is trying to get to the palace at this point. We're trying to focus the, on the fights right now, but earlier we established that Vivi. Yeah, is we'll, we'll run through Vivi's plot points yeah. after. Yeah. So we go from possibly the best fight in the arc to, unfortunately, the I worst. think we can agree. It's the worst. The worst. I agree. Nami versus Miss Double Finger. Now, me being a Nami simp fanboy, sorry. I mean, respectable person, right? I myself <laughs> am a fan. I am not Sanji. I do have to admit this fight is incredibly flawed where I yeah. like where it was going because at the end of the day, we'll get to the, I guess the pluses later. I want actually just the, neg- the negatives first where I think, I think I ranted to you about this like half hour after recording last week where the introduction, <laughs> yeah. the introduction to Nami's new weapon, they briefly mentioned it in the first half, the climb attack, which is a much better weapon. They, in the uh, version I'm reading, it's so-called the Climate Baton, but it's a mouthful. Climate Attack just runs off the tongue yeah, much better. Yeah, such a nice flow, Climate Attack. Yeah. It, it also sounds like a Pokemon power-up, like the, the like Attack X or something like it's that. It's like climate a Pokemon attack. ability is what I think of. Like it, That's what it sounds like to me. A little bit, yeah. But here's the thing I have my issue here. We get a little flashback going, the reason why she wanted this weapon, because we see that she requested this from Usopp when they're still on the ship. She suddenly felt like she was a burden to the crew and she wasn't going to be enough help to Vivi for this whole adventure going on ahead. Me being the fanboy, I can tell you guys and Justin here over and over again with complete 100% reassurance, Nami is the backbone MVP of the Straw Hat team. This makes no goddamn sense to why she suddenly feels like a burden. I was worried. I was thinking it was a mistranslation at first. It didn't seem like it was his character. If anything, this should have been Nami going, hey, I got some equipment from like these last couple of stops. Usopp, can you think you might give me something? Because if we come into a pinch, we get separated. I can't rely on you guys to save me all the time. Something a bit more nonchalant, right? Something a bit more like, hey, Usopp, can you make me something that gives me an edge? Maybe something a little help out. I, I get right. the reasoning was because Nami is a is a great character with a heart of gold. We all know this. I I know this, obviously. But it reminds me of Sokka from Avatar Lost Airbender, where the reason why he wanted to be trained by a sword master, get the cool space sword, and be a much better fighter, is because he felt like he was a burden to that crew in the same way Nami does now. And it's like, and similar to Nami, Sokka's the one coming up with the plans. He even jokes himself yeah. as um, he's the plan guy. He's also the comic relief. He's also one of the the better characters, too. He's the human character that's going through a lot of characterization. So this literal reasoning excuse for a power-up, it's a very bad excuse. I do not like this at all. It could have been fixed with just Nami going, hey, Usopp, can you give me an edge? Or maybe she found, like, a piece in Logtown, right? She was going shopping there earlier. And maybe she got some equipment from Drum Island. I don't know. It, it the, the reasoning for why she wanted this weapon, it's a cool weapon. Don't get me wrong. It's really bad. And on top of that, when she gets the weapon 
in uh she we saw what she gets the weapon i think they're at yuba or the before they get to yuba she actually gets it finally from usopp when he's finally finished yeah i think so during the entire time they're traveling after that point she doesn't read the apparent instruction manual that usopp leaves behind for her right and i'm also thinking so we can have some comic relief at this point again there, there are so many faults with this fight that it's very unfortunate that i'm just going what was the line of reasoning for these parts? Like it's making me distracted that Miss Doublefinger is also just being non-aggressive at all. She's just watching Nami trying to figure out this climb attack. Like every time where it's like a turn-based fight where Nami is trying <laughs> yeah. to do this thing. She uses it incorrectly because Usopp also apparently didn't believe Nami needed this. So he made the climb attack like a party item more than an actual attack weapon, which Usopp, what the fuck? And well, that's what it's you a, get when you refuse to fund your weapon, Nami. That, actually, that is true, too. But it's also unlike Usopp to just be like, oh, it's a party gear because they feel like it kind of thing. It, it didn't seem like, like, from your reasoning, that does make sense. But this is Usopp we're talking about. This isn't just some unnamed merchant, right? Where they're tr literally, like, trying to screw over Nami. But so Nami does never practice with this weapon before this moment. Like, if she literally got this, like, right before they had to deal with the agents right now, didn't make a bit more sense, right? Where Usopp is scrambling yeah. to write instructions. And it's another thing, another what if, right? It would have been better if Usopp himself wasn't sure how the thing worked. He was literally like coming across like these magical parts to a baton that can create weather effects for fuck's sake, like a magician or like, you <laughs> know, like a, like a, like an avatar speaking of the our avatar references. And instead, he has these very clear instructions of, okay, this will literally create a tornado effect. This will literally create a little fountain effect. Ignoring the fact that we're ignoring, like, where the water or the pigeons come from, because, again, party effects. Right. Or, like, the like the fist, that, the, the comical, like, fist on the, on the, on the uh, fence, like, chain kind of thing. It's, it would have been made much more sense if Usopp was trying, but he only gave instructions to, like, how to create the little water effects, the little wind effects. But he actually didn't quite understand that, oh, if you combine these together, you can actually recreate a thunderstorm or tornado, right? And then Nami being the clever girl she is, she can go, oh, wait, I can combine these and I can create these effects, right? Usopp yeah. trying, but getting a little part way, but Nami with her insect was able to escalate that weapon's potential to be much higher, which we kind of get. But again, it's this horrible presentation with Nami's new weapon, why she's got the new weapon how it's addressed firsthand. It distracts the fact that Double Finger is a pretty cool fighter with like an urchin effect where she can literally spike on everything. It's creepy, mm -hmm. but it's really clever at the same time. But it's highly distracting because we're supposed to have like this good moment of like, oh, Nami's a fighter now. But it's, again, the whole introduction is just so bad to this. Yeah, I com completely agree with everything you said. Yeah, sorry for going on for a bit too long on that, but... As a Nami fan, I thank you for giving me the time. <laughs> but like, I had to get that. I had to get that out, man. Because uh, it's love the weakest fight in the series, like yet. Which is very unfortunate. I would say yeah, it's it almost is. on par with that one chapter that Luffy and Zoro had a fist fight back in Whiskey Peak, where I'm right. like, why would Luffy do this? But that was one chapter, and that was one characterization where I'm like, okay, this is not Luffy. This was basically two or three chapters of this is not Nami and this is not Usopp, where. Usopp, I could, it's just kind of a stretch, right? Where it's like, Usopp would have been a bit more clear. He would have actually tried to make her a very good weapon. That's very, you know, resourceful and convenient. Because they're both resourceful people. But, right. again, the whole feeling like a burden thing, 
you got to give me a better reason for that, man. Like the last time I, I saw this, didn't hate that part. I, I I personally interpreted it as she was talking specifically about combat. I think she knows how damn valuable she is in every other aspect. I I kind of thought that she was just saying, "I need to be better in a fight. I can't really do anything." And I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that's kind of true. I get it." The way that they presented though was again that's my issue is presentation because we really get the panel for her looking down like she's feeling guilty like she does feel like a burden because before that she does say I know I am the smart one and the attractive one but here's the deal and then she right. goes off feeling like a burden that's why I'm saying it's the presentation that's a huge issue with this yeah because just if a you just, little like just a couple of words changed up there would have made it a lot more exactly succinct if you and just yeah. change yeah the word choice exactly if Nami just said hey I want to really help out Vivi here and my staff ain't going to compare to like Zoro swords and, or your slingshot. Can you give me something that might give me an edge? I should have gone and read the Japanese of that to see what it, what she actually said, but I didn't. Maybe I will. I am curious about that. If that is actually different because yeah, again, just a little change of Nami just going, Hey, can you give me something with a little bit of an edge? Right? Because my staff ain't going to cut it. And we're going up against people who have these devil fruit powers now more frequently. The staff is probably not going to cut it, even against their henchmen, their goons. So, again, presentation. I think the negatives are done with the fight, though, because at the end, it is very clever with how the weapon actually works when Nami figures it out, finally. Yeah, and that as well. Because then we get to really cool parts where we get the first two chapters of like, ah, this is really rough, dude. And then it's like, oh, my God, she can literally like transition like a hunter from Bloodborne. If you use the blood, like the the hunter's bone item in that game, and you like phase in and out like a cloud, and you can teleport almost, she does it like a, like that in a mirage effect where Double Finger thinks she's skewered Nami, and then she's like, "Oh, I'm over here, idiot," and it's like, "Okay, yeah. this is actually really cool." Okay, now I'm like, "Okay, Nami's escalated to like bloodborne hunter status. This is so sick," and then she's using like these crazy uh, techniques where she's combining like temperature changes to create little clouds, change mm. the uh, change the pressure, split the atoms. Oh, there you go. Create a lightning storm, lightning strike. So like, okay, crazy magical weapon that I still think should have been found somewhere else rather than just made by Usopp because I have here actually another nitpick here. Usopp making this on a ship with a box of scraps, uh, quote, (laughs) quote by Obadiah stone from Iron Man. Right. Where it's like, how did, like, okay, okay, Usopp's Iron Man, okay, cool. But it's like, then why didn't he make something like this for himself? Because he's making, like, yeah, ammo for himself. I agree. Because it, it does come off, the end of the fight is, is a really good payoff to a really crappy, like, buildup. Yeah, the potential's crazy. And there was, there was a really good opportunity, which mm. I can't explain to you yet, but I will soon, as to how mm. I think the climate attack could have been implemented and in a really, really amazing way. But we, we will get there in a few weeks. Yeah, so that's what I was saying, like, where this chat, this fight ends off with Nami winning. Uh, she's able to figure out how to create, like, a typhoon tornado effect and do, like, an airbending blast and knock her through a wall and knock her out. And beating uh, Double Finger, she takes some wounds herself. She gets uh, stabbed through the foot, and I think she gets stabbed through the shoulder, too, at one point. But she wins the fight, and I was thinking, like, okay, there's great potential to this weapon. Like I said, like, you can do mirage teleportation where you're, like, okay, yeah. you're kind of, like... Ison from Bleach, or you're like a hunter from Bloodborne where you can teleport and fool people. But at the same time, how we got here is really screwed up. Like, yeah, this is the worst fight in the series so far. I hate to say it. Great potential going forward, but presentation. 
Oh, that yeah. was just an off day. That was an off day. I'm sorry. That was off day. Yeah, I, I don't think you have to be. Uh, you're not alone, and I'm with you. Mm. So yeah, then, I, one of the best uh-huh. fights, for me at least, Zoro versus Mr. One. Very traditional shonen fight. This is actually the one fight I had the fewest notes for, actually. Um, I don't know if yeah, you want it's, to... it's It's kind of similar to Mr. Two's in that it's not really the choreography. Mm-hmm. I mean, except the difference here is that I think there's a really good and cool kind of kind of hype quote-unquote moment for Zoro, yeah, whereas Sanji shots. didn't really get that. Yeah, there's a couple action shots where they're trading blows. Mr. One is actually a very interesting character. He has the, uh, what f- double fruit did he eat? He basically is the human sword, is what he calls himself. Yeah, the where... dice, dice fruit. Okay, yeah. So he can turn any part of his body into steel, where... Not quite literally like steel, like Tetsu Tetsu from My Hero, but more yeah, like he's not uh, like Colossus from X Men. He can make yeah. all kinds of bladed weapons on his body. Mm-hmm. He literally turns his uh, leg or arm into a blade when he's fighting, because basically he fights like martial arts, but he transforms his limb of choice into a blade for the right attack. He can also kind of brokenly. So this is why he's Mister One, right? He's the one rank below one rank below uh, Miss All Sunday and uh, Crocodile. Yeah. Where he can literally turn pieces of his arms into like separate buzz saws, and they tr- and they twirl like buzz saws. So it's like, okay, this guy is literally like an unbreakable wall while also being a broken attacker at the same time. And of course, Zoro's fighting this guy because that makes sense. It would be Zoro, of course. Um, right. We get the great moment where you think, you know, again, traditional shonen fight. Zoro gets cut up, beaten. Where it's like, oh my god, he's bleeding so much. It's like bleach. He should be dead by now. But it's Zoro. You're not. It's like he's softer than that. He just stands back up. He's um, taking worse hits, like the one from Mihawk. <laughs> yeah, but Mihawk, you got it. You got at the end of the day where it's like Hawkeye intentionally spared him in the end, right? Yeah, or he's that is the toying with him. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Mister One, they established, oh, I'm an assassin. I don't fool around, right? He hits kids. Are going to exploit the info for Barack works. He's cold blooded, right? Like this guy just gets his work done. So when he does those buzzsaw attacks directly on Zoro. And then he also right. gets like a clean cut. He collapses like a, a big top half of a skyscraper on top of Zoro. Zoro cracks a joke where it's like, it's not a good fall, not a good day for debris today. <laughs> and yeah. then you get the great moment where I think it's one of your favorite hype moments where he lifts up a damn skyscraper. That's not what I was talking about, but I, I did like it. I, I was okay. a little, I was like, whoa, what? Like, I think that's yeah. the largest feat of pure physical strength we've seen so far. Yeah. In the so, whole series. Why, <laughs> we were talking about Usopp being like mortal and how they oversold us on the death blows. And it's like, yeah, and if Zoro doing it, it wouldn't have been as far fetched. Because look at this guy where right. he's like, I, I got cut up by buzz saws and human blades. And now I'm throwing skyscrapers at you like I'm Palpatine in the in the council room. We're just like just throwing shit everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's but like we, we keep this... on saying in One Piece, like strength of will is basically one for one with actual physical strength. Yeah, uh, up to this point, I will say, well, for One Piece, they did a very good job with preventing me from thinking like, oh, that's just plot armor, man. A few times they kind of hit me in this arc. What the first was Usopp earlier, where it's like, okay, that's plot yeah. armor. That's shown in willpower. This time I even got it with Zoro, where I'm like, okay, he should be, like, more wounded than this. Because, obviously, we gotta have the hype moments where 
he tip he taps into his inner samurai code in his beliefs he can hear the wind he can hear that the that's the moment i love i love that moment yeah it's a cool moment um again but they did that after he gets cut up and everything so it's like ooh. <laughs> um but yeah he hears like he hears the elements he hears the materials it's almost like a ghost of Tsushima moment almost where it's like you're tapping into your inner samurai to be one with your blades and he's able mm-hmm. to be one with the sword one with nature I did appreciate that though where the the flashback shows his one of his instructors going a, uh, a swordsman can choose when he can cut and when he can't basically where it shows mm-hmm. him like trying to like swinging out this piece of paper with like a very st- sharp sword but it didn't cut through what the heck and he's teaching Zoro where it's like he doesn't say it up front because swordsmen t- mentors they love to be vague as fuck but he basically he's <laughs> yeah. talking about control he's talking about you should choose but they actually what i did like about this is that they hinted at this earlier at whiskey peak when Zoro was uh, using those new swords for the first time he got from Logtown, and he was holding that cursed sword, and then he's like, I feel the sword wants to keep cutting. That could be a problem. So they actually right. called back to that on, during this moment, but Zoro was kind of unsure what to do about that. Almost like, you know, the sword had a, a behavior of its own, like a mind of its own. It makes sense. He's a swordsman. You leave him alone. Um, but he's able to control that, and he's harnessing, like, okay, if I can control what my swords can cut, like to a finite, literal, spiritual level, at the same time, I can cut steel. Because this guy is literally a human sword. You get the great, like, you know, the traditional, like, Zoro, where, all right, last, like, hurrah, we're going to charge at each other, swing our weapons at the same time with our super level three supers charged up. We're going to mm-hmm. charge at each other. And then you get the great panel of, Mr. One getting the only blow to him directly, but it's all that needs. He's not used to yep, it. At the end of the day, everyone gets a one shot by Zoro. <laughs> yeah. In this case, though, it That's makes kind of how sense swords work, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, it does make sense for me in this case because, like, yeah, Mr. One wouldn't, would not be used to actually taking blows like this because he's used to just repelling it all the time by being steel. But then he gets a really, like, clean cut from Zoro of all people. He's not going to be Hawkeye and spare him out of respect. He's like, no, I'm going to kill you out of respect. So you get that fatal blow and like, yeah, that's all he needs. Mr. One has no uh, preparation for this. He's done. He's down for the count. Um, Then he collapses after that from exhaustion, from blood loss. But, you know, it's all right. He'll be fine. (laughs) He'll be fine. Yeah, he'll he'll be fine. Yeah, he'll be fine. Just walk it off. He'll be fine. And that's all the Straw Hat fights. Anything else on Zoro's fight? Uh, I think that's it. Like I said, it's more of a traditional fight. Uh, I said all I need for... uh, the Nami fight, really. Zoro is it's a it's a fun hype fight. Zoro gets stronger at the end. It's really cool. Not a lot of characterization, other than that we just get a bit more of like his mentor work of like him like realization of like his teachings. So yeah. we might get more of that where it's like maybe he's so naturally gifted at swordsmanship that he's been blowing off these lessons he's got in the past, and he'll slowly one by one awaken these lessons. Uh, like as he's going through his adventures. So maybe we might get that, but. Yeah, hype fighter, but yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, uh, you get, like he's always down to take on a challenge. You know, that's what he said. Like, oh, look, I've been waiting to be being driven into a corner like this because it'll make me get stronger. But pretty, pretty typical Zoro stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, real quick, of the straw hat fights that happened here, which one's your favorite? Is the Zoro one? Yeah, it's Zoro. It's Zoro. Okay. Of it makes these sense. Four. We usually lean to the characters we like the most. I, I agree. Because uh, normally I would say Nami, of course, but she had the worst fight, unfortunately. Of one piece so far how about you 
I was thinking Sanji's originally because I was thinking like, oh, well, I'm not being grossed out and his his toxic personality is actually becoming a weakness. It's actually a great time. But again, it kind of ends on and like, a, oh, I guess kind of way. But uh, it's a funny way, but it was I said it wasn't disappointing earlier, but now I'm thinking it again where it's like it's, it's for Sanji's five for me. It's like it wasn't disappointing in any way, but it also didn't really shine. That much. Yeah, it had it had potential to shine, but instead it was like, oh, you're you're a hype, cool fight, cool. Mm-hmm. You got some funny moments in there too. I think at the end of the day, Usopp and Chopper is the best fight, and just because it's more clever, I love characters being resourceful. You literally have the two characters who rely on being resourceful, Usopp, and characters who's relying on intellect. He's a new character, but it makes it work. Chopper, right. where like, okay, uh, Miss Merry Christmas is making the holes in the ground. Let's throw like one of the baseball bombs in there. See what that happens. Oh, we know that uh, Mr. Four is slow. We just have to get Christmas over to him, scream the command. He swings. That might be the best chance, right? So you have these, and also like Usopp trying to use uh, bluffing, uh, mental warfare kind of thing, fool the enemies. That works. Mm-hmm. Out. Again, it's a, it's a lot more entertaining in that regard. It did yeah. oversell on the Usopp bit. We mentioned that over and over again. They oversold it on that part, but that's a nitpick I'm willing to look over because you had the great moment during that to save up for it. And again, just the, the actual resourcefulness of the fight is much more entertaining for me. Okay. And then I'll run through Vivi's storyline as I have it. Tell me if you remember anything or I miss anything. So after the straw hats all split up, she stays in the desert, like outside of the palace, still outside of the city hiding Mm -hmm. so that the Baroque work agents all get drawn away. And then she goes up the straight way. Uh, basically, I think that's the last time we see her until she gets to the palace. She reveals herself, like, in the city to some guards, like, take me to the palace, I'm the princess. And they're like, oh, dang, she's back. Right before uh, that. She... Sorry, right before that. Oh, uh, okay. yeah, yeah, does yeah, get yeah. to the rebels in the desert first. She actually, this, this, was, this was her original plan. It was to try and just talk to Koza before the fighting starts, before the, you know, the adrenaline and the bloodlust is too strong, and try to talk him down. She gets to actually gets there to the time in the south, but she's by herself. She's trying to get attention from the, you know, the Koza on a horse charging at full speed. And this is when I mentioned that bit earlier where there's a misfire that happens from one of the loyalists with artillery pieces, which, by the way, it's a World War II American howitzer. <laughs> Fun little bit that I saw there. More anachronism. Yay. Yay. But Barack worked insiders. I don't know how they saw or noticed, but either way, good call by the uh, insider where he makes yeah. a misfire approach and aims at the one person. It actually gets a close shot, too, like because artillery is really hard to aim with, obviously, but that was a really yeah. good shot. But it happened to be in between Vivi and the charging group uh, led by Koza, and there's actually moments where he thinks he's hearing someone calling to him, and it sounds familiar, too, but then the blast happens, the sandstorm occurs, and they don't see each other, and you see that one sad panel of him charging straight ahead with her just missing him by an inch too late. The sandstorm is there. The explosions there, the trampling of the, the trampling of the horses and formations are there. Her voice just isn't enough. Like it's, it's starting yeah. this trend with Vivi, which I do appreciate on reread on of notes taking is this constant trend of failure after failure by Vivi, but she's constantly trying. Okay. Reset the goalposts, new plan. Reset the goalposts, new plan. Reset the goalposts, new plan. So it's kind of continuing that. Sorry, I said starting, but it's continuing because the first time was she wanted to do this originally, but Luffy said, no, go after Crocodile. But now she moved it again at this point. She failed to get Koza's attention. Now they have to get back with Karu, which, by the way, saves her from a straight bullet before Mr. Two tries to attack her before he fights Sanji. 
Yeah, and... I was gonna say we got like the brief Mr. Two disguised as Usopp, and he's like, Oh, it's me, look, I've got a bandage. Right. But she realizes it's definitely not because he yeah. doesn't take the bandage off. We yeah, we see the the second half to the plan, because originally at this point when I was reading the first half going, bandage on the arm doesn't seem like it's enough. It seems like it's too easy, which they show it off. They get the intel of, oh, they're wearing bandages on their left arm. That must be their thing. Do that, right? Only for your disguise. But the second part of the plan that we, as the audience, didn't get, which you could probably argue, which was, oh, he thought about that later on because he realized Oda thought about that too later on because, you know, this is week by week, chapter by chapter. But I'll give him credit for this, where it's like, I'm pretty sure he thought of this, where it's like, yeah, that is a dumb plan. That's a short-sighted plan. It's like, no, reveal the mark underneath your arm to show off that you're you, right? But, and it's also the process. You don't have to be asked to do it. You just do it. So he just held yeah. up the bandage. Mr. Two didn't do it. And Karu both right away. This is not Usopp. And then Karu just picks her up. Just flees and right to the After house. he was trampled by all of the rebels on horses. He he got trampled, up and he's like, that's not shot. Usopp. Gotta save Vivi. Yep, he gets shot, af- shot after that. He gets shot on the wall. Scales the cliff side. Yep, he, he runs straight up the wall. Our boy Carew, badass. <laughs> That's the most yeah. badass thing he's done. And then I got a unique page. Uh, you didn't, Justin, but I got a unique page when I was reading when Carew was looking directly at the camera going, is this good enough for you, Jacob? Is this good enough for you to notice me? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, Carew, I yeah. did it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. it was a really cool scene. That I, I, I know what you're talking about, too. Like that look of determination on his face when he's running up yeah. the wall. His <laughs> very, yeah, his very determined quack. And then he's just flapping his wings when he gets to the top, drops on Vivi. Um, okay, and then, and then we can't the sleep house. on yeah. when they get to the top of that wall. And Mister Two, he also kind of just runs up. It's like following him, and he's about to attack Vivi. And they get the sweet save from my boy Ivan X and Cowboy, two of the other Supersonic Duck Squadron. Ivan X, right. the one wearing the horn helmet, and Cowboy, obviously the one in the cowboy hat. Great, mm-hmm. that was great. Like a huge headbutt from that giant duck. You get a kick in the face from Cowboy. Loved it. Yeah. Even the other oh, ducks are getting down in this arc. On a, on a, we're talking about um, figuring out like if Mr. Two is Usopp or not. Uh, there was another moment too where even if they didn't do the bandage uh, check, um, there was a line that Usopp says, or sorry, Mr. Two says, that completely ticked, tipped them both off where it was, oh, but Karu is her. And then Usopp or Mr. Two goes, Forget that bird. We have to go. And it's like, mm-hmm. who the fuck? <laughs> yeah. The fuck and Usopp and Karu are homies. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, um, there is, so we're picking up the war fighting, right? Vivi's trying to go back to the palace. She's witnessing like these horrible scenes before her. There's a great panel where she's looking at some of the, the civil war going on. And there's like blood splatter. Like it's small, but it's blood splatter like in the foreground of the panel. And it's yeah. like, Ooh, that's really, that's really dark. Um, there is a nitpick I do have with how the city is set up because the way the city is set up is that it's a grand palace city, it's a capital city on a plateau with only eight entry points and the entry points are all stairs. This should be some of the easiest defensive positions you could have for a royal right. army, royalist army. And they try to sell it as like, oh, the rebels, we have two million men now in our army, which I'm guessing is an exaggeration, but I don't know. I don't know. Probably, reading it, yeah. it for granted. But either way, I'm thinking... Loyalists, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I'm guessing you could had cannon say, oh, the agents inside made sure that the defenses were very shoddy. Because I'm thinking, where are the sandbags? 
anything to slow down people charging up the stairs. Where are the barricades? Where are, like, where's oil? Like, you, you're you a place known for perfume and incense. I'm sure you got some oils you could throw down there, make it a yeah. bit more slippery, maybe light it on fire. Yeah, fire sort pits, of village traps. tactics, you know, something. Yeah, uh, this is, sorry, this is just me again going with my historical connections where I'm like, like, Alabarn, what the hell are you doing? Like, I know your king is not like this war, like this warmongering military king, but you're like, you got Chaka there, your military second advisor. You guys got to think of something, right? But again, headcanon, Barak works, agents were there just to be like doing the bare minimum where it's like, okay, we set up artillery pieces. We're going to get some bloodshed going, but we want the rebels into the city. So we're not going to care about sandbags. We're not going to care about barricades. So right. that's my headcanon for that. Yeah, so basically after that, we get Vivi, she goes to the palace, and Chaka is there, right? And then Chaka's she has a there. new plan to destroy the palace. Mm-hmm. Get, and the, it's a desperate plan at this point. Blow up the palace yeah. to get their attention, right? Is literally get their attention and them going, what the hell is going on? And we learn later on, big destructive moments aren't going to be enough to stop the armies, right? This is one yes. thing, too, where I'm like, this is a desperate plan, but again, Vivi is just changing the goalposts. But this is the determination of the character that I do admire. She always has a plan, whether it's bad or not, or good, bad or good, good or bad. She has a plan, <laughs> right? So, yeah. and a lot of times, a desperation because she's trying to prevent bloodshed. Okay, bloodshed's happening. What's the best possible way to just stop it for just long enough for me to possibly talk to uh, um, the rebel leader? And like again, just desperation, desperation. Let's blow up the palace. Crocodile shows up and goes, hey, no, <laughs> this is my home. Right. What are yeah, you talking about? Crocodile appears. Yeah. It's my and home. He, talking I about? think that's where he says he killed Luffy and Vivi just like adamantly refuses to believe that. Yeah. And we moment. finally, finally learn what exactly the thing Croc wanted that he mentioned in his meeting with Brokeworks earlier that he's looking mm. for. He asks Cobra about the Pluton. The Pluton. Is yes. it a cannon? Is it a nuke? Is it like the best devil fruit you could possibly imagine where it turns you into a super sane and gives you that Vegeta power where you just scream real loud and make a crater around you? Who knows? We just know it could apparently, in, in one shot, it can vaporize an entire island. So I'm leaning towards mega cannon, right? Some kind of major cannon yeah. weapon that has like these magical properties that could destroy on an immense level that can create a, like a nuclear effect kind of thing. Um, and with that, that'll be his, like his nuclear deterrence where he wants to be like, like metal gear, like, uh, like a snake, big boss from phantom pain where he's like, all right, nuclear deterrence. We can use this as a tool to recruit more mercenaries to our cause. He's doing that to try and be like the superpower warlord of the grand line. And yeah. he, he has worldwide ambitions. Like this guy wa doesn't want to stop at Alabasta. He wants to rule the world. Everybody. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then that's also where he reveals that he has the bomb set to explode in the, the main fighting area where the rebels right. and real guards are fighting. And 30 um, minutes from this point. So I had major flashbacks, not the good kind when he did this. Dynamic. Uh, dr like drastic flashbacks. Uh, does it sound familiar to you? This planet will blow up in five minutes. Yeah, dynamic. I knew it. Yeah, five. At minutes. least it was a little more. Reason. It was thirty minutes at least. So okay, okay, yeah. So here's some differences. I'm gonna spoil it and say like for the next couple of chapters. Go on ahead. Sorry, not spoil it. Obviously, we've read it at this point. Um, where they establish like as each chapter is passing, we say twenty five minutes, twenty minutes. So there is a constant countdown timer reminder 
And yeah. conveniently showing the clock tower over and over again. Tick right. tock, tick tock. I wonder what that means. Um, yeah, that was a and, good like little foreshadowing, and it yeah, worked it was, really well in context. Yeah, it was it was very obvious foreshadowing to me, but because it worked hand in hand with the tension, it worked well. So that's why I start off with saying I had flashbacks to that horrible anime version of the Dragon Ball Z Frieza countdown moment because that version the tension wasn't really quite there because it was okay the plant's exploding sure but the focus is on Goku versus Frieza I don't care this case the tension was very clear save Alabasta save the people stop the save a war this is gonna kill possibly Straw Hats King Vivi people and it's not for sure yet. It's not a planet exploding already and you have five minutes before it finishes. It's 30 minutes until you can defuse the bomb, basically. So it's much more tense. And we get these series of moments where it's like the characters are aware how close it is to, you know, uh, countdown, hitting the, the clock hitting to zero. So they're desperate. They're trying to work out, okay, what do we do? Where is it? So... In comparison, this is a lot better in terms of time management. But when I first saw yeah. you have half hour to find the bomb, I'm going, oh, no, Crocodile, don't turn into Frieza. Please don't. <laughs> like, Frieza's a cool villain, but that was a really bad moment in the series for Dragon Ball Z. Yes, agreed. <clears throat> but, yeah, Pluton. Uh, we got to find the Pluton. Uh, King Cobra, great name again, is going, like, how do you know about that? So, obviously, it's not, like, some made-up fairy tale where it's like distant memory. Cobra knows what it is or has an idea of what it is. He says he doesn't know. He's not sure. But then uh, Nico Robin shows up, rejoins the group that's on the palace at the, at the, the front gates, basically the, uh, the courtyard. Yeah. And then like goes, the courtyard. Yeah. And, but then they target the King and they go, we know you have a Poneglyph. We know you have this ancient relic. Take me to it. Right. Is, is this the first Poneglyph? Uh, I'm pretty sure it is. I think we get mentioned. Wait, was it mentioned? I was felt like we heard it before? mentioned. I think it was Barate, where uh, the chef, the Viking guy, Sanji's mentor. I forgot his name. Zef? Did, did they? Oh, you know what? No, I I don't think he had one, but he had something similar to this, where it's like his records, his log, his logbook. Yeah, his was a log. I, I could have swore. I don't remember where, but I thought Poneglyphs had been mentioned before. But if, that's not if, that important. I was just wondering. Yeah, okay. So if it was mentioned before, that wasn't it. Um, but that's what I was thinking of at this point, because I was thinking like, oh, like some records, some history, right? So I was thinking that they're going to go to the palace and find a book, but instead they end up going to a mausoleum of like where all the past kings are resting now. And we've, uh, am, I cross, am I going too far ahead here? Yeah, I'm going too uh, far ahead. I'm not far really. Ahead. Before they do, there's like, we just get to see Crocodile dust some more people. And he, him and Luffy fight on the roof. Oh, like we see the four God. elite palace guards. The yeah, the, jo- the, the jobbers. Yeah, the the huge jobbers. Where it's like, oh my God, these big badasses are here to show up. The kicking yeah. claw force. They look they're cool so, too. They're so cool. They're eating the the Choji vitamins uh, pills that make them super <laughs> strong and kill them. Oh, and they're dead. Yeah, dude, yeah, that 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 was a really good scene for Crocodile in particular. Yeah, because. Uh, Shaka, like, noticed some marks on their arms that were indicative of this fatal fuel, they called it in the dub, I don't remember what it was called in the original, that'll give them, like, really big power boost and exchange kill them, and when Crocodile mm-hmm. hears that, he's like, oh, I'm just gonna run away for a minute until they die. Well, he lets them, like, yeah, he lets them try to get their hits in, they can't do anything because they don't know about the water weakness, and he just goes, 
like he pulls like a Barbosa, right? From the first Pirates of the Caribbean where he just sighs is whatever. I feel like I made this reference before to Barbosa in the first Pirates of the Caribbean where he gets stabbed yeah. by Jack Sparrow and they just hear him, you just see him going, ah, we're doing this again. Crocodile yeah. just yucking it up. He's smiling, smoking a cigar going, I just got to wait till you guys die. Right. Cause you, you drank your fatal, uh, your fatal fuel. And then they just pass out. They die. I don't think he even cuts them. I think they just die. Don't they? But they're they're done afterwards. They get yeah. He time. just literally avoids fighting them. Mm-hmm. So we get that horrible moment where they fought. They fail. He like quickly defeats Shock Chaka, um, really quickly. Uh, and then he we have that dramatic moment where Vivi is still being determined. She wants to speak to Koza. Oh wait, no, we're I kind of skipping Co- ahead because Koza appears there. Yeah, he he, he appears, does appear right after Chaka gets beaten. Because he knows about a secret passage from when him and Vivi were kids that he used. Yeah, right, because Chaka buys them time. So they almost resort to the plan where Crocodile just spills the beans to Koza. Koza shows up going, what's the meaning of this? Because he sees uh, King Cobra nailed to the wall being interrogated. And Crocodile's going, yo, it was me the whole time. It was my plan. It's working so far. Isn't it great? I'm great. It was me. It was me. (laughs) Yeah, it was me all along. Yeah, exactly. he's basically, he's like, yep, you can't stop me now. I did it. Suck it. Yeah. You're a pawn in my hand. Ha ha ha. Right? Yeah. V- v- yeah. So Vivi and Koza, they're, str- they're like, now they're both trying to work together, being desperate, going, okay, get the, tell the world, I'll tell the world girls to stand down. We'll get the white flags going. You have to be in the front. Tell your rebels to stop because they're blood drunk right now. Right? They're, they're, they're raging in the middle of the war right now. Their adrenaline's pumping. It almost seems to work at first. Koza's in the front. He's waving the white flag. Gets the rebels' attention. The loyalists behind him are waving the white flags, too. And right before he can go, like, it, it was Crocodile, right? It was, like, Crocodile was behind it all, to quote Red Letter Media. Then he gets shot in the back by the agents disguised as the loyalists. Yep. Fueling the fire once more, rather than trying to dilute the flames. It just adds more fire because they the rebels see Koza shot in the back. As if, like, oh my god, they tricked him into negotiating and they just shot him in the back, the monsters. And even when the loyalists are trying to attack the agents that were going like, dude, what the hell are you doing? You're ruining everything. It's too late. The the adrenaline's there. They think Koza's like semi-martyred at this point. And they're just going crazy at ground zero where the cannonball is aimed at to make a cannon that Crocodile's planned on. And they're all fighting there now. And so Vivi has this breakdown moment where Crocodile's confronting her going like, like, you're not strong enough to do anything. Like, you're just super weak. Get over it. It's not going to work. You're, you think you're a princess. You think you're good. But as you can see, I'm better than you. I'm sure it's very Arlong-ish, right? Where it's like, I'm stronger than you. Therefore, I'm better than you. Then it has that crazy moment where, like, he's holding her by the neck. But he's not doing the power where he's draining her of, like, all her water. He's just going to do the traditional thing of, I'm going to drop you off the edge of the cliff. Because I'm going to let you suffer as you fall and die, right? Collapse to your fate think about your naivete as you plummet <laughs> yeah which is very unfortunate because it's like yeah because i was criticizing vivi a little bit in the first half of the arc going like yeah she was over optimistic with her planning but you kind of have to respect that determination to keep trying again and again because it's her people it's her kingdom and then crocodile is literally telling her this is like the worst thing about you go die and i'm just like oh this sucks but yeah but in the distance it's a bird it's a plane well, it is a bird, but it's not a plane. Yeah, it actually it's, is a bird. It's Pell with, with Luffy. With <laughs> Luffy. Finally, after 20 chapters. Um, I have it here, 17 chapters. No Luffy showing up. We finally get Luffy again. He and Pell rescue her. 
she has this crazy moment where I'm getting huge comparison moments here because I mentioned Arlong and Crocodile being similar in that moment where they're like, oh, I'm stronger than you, therefore I'm I am right, you're wrong. Might make might makes right kind of mentality. And then we have this moment where Vivi is broken down and going like, no matter what I try, no matter what I do, no one can hear my pleas no matter what I do. And then Luffy just, you know, uh, yeah. just very basic. Luffy being Luffy going, don't worry. I can hear your voice. Yeah, like, like calm down. I can hear your voice and I'm going to fix everything, basically, because I'm fucking Luffy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> that's I, what I'm I do. Here. I'm the hero now. I'm the straw hat pirate. Um, he, would, he would make a really good superhero, by the way. I'm just saying. Oh, anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We all know this. but um, He basically is in some ways, you know? And continuing the advantage of information. Oh, sorry. Uh, they drop off Evie. They find a bunch of straw hats, right? They, uh, like, they're all wounded. They're all like joking around, trying to help each other. Like, Nami convinces Zoro yeah, to the straw carry hats, her. Like, even though he's at the base of the palace. They, yeah. They drops reunite. her off there. Yeah, they reunite. They... Uh, Vivi tells the Straw Hats, like, hey, Crocodile, like, the urgency right now is we gotta stop this bomb. Like, there's no point right now to try and stop the fighting going on. We have to stop this bomb. So, we have, like, 25 minutes at this point, or 20 minutes, to find this bomb. Pels have the arrow advantage. You guys try and split up and do your thing. Zoro and uh, Sanji, you try and buy us some time. Um, well, that's going on. But to continue the information series, right, the theme we got going on here, Luffy, round two against Crocodile. And I will say, this is the best punch in One Punch. Ah, uh, yep, punch. I have that written <laughs> too. Best punch of the arc, hands down. Where when Crocodile's just gloating. Yeah, gloating, yucking up, going, you want some round two, motherfucker? I perfected you last time. And then you're like, what? Yeah, like, bro, you got waxed. You really yeah. want some more of this heat? <laughs> and then you're wondering, what's that strapped to Luffy's back? What's, what's going on here? But before you can think too much about it, and before you can question too, Luffy, how are you fighting? Weren't you, don't you have a giant gaping hole in your chest? Shut up, not important right now. What's important right now is he soaked his hand with water because he remembered that little moment where he touched uh, Crocodile's wrist when he was hanging from the gaping wound earlier and just punches the cigar out of his mouth, blood is spilled, and his stupid greased up hair is like in tatters a bit. Like his bangs are a little out of place. And he's like, what the fuck? Who do you think you are? Kind of thing. <laughs> New best yeah. punch in One Piece. Definitely. Yes. Just finally sends Croc flying the first time he's been hit the whole time we've seen him. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful and the moment. funny thing, too, after all that is after Luffy's like little confrontation where it's like he lands the first blow, he lands just a couple attacks. Nico Robin is giggling, laughing in the background like she's enjoying the show. And I'm very sorry I had to make this joke. She was eager to watch the D, as she put earlier. So I'm just, like, <laughs> joking around going, oh, she's watching the D. Come on, man. Well, yeah. Uh, like, well, I mean, am I wrong? But no, anyway, I had, I had to make that joke. Um, we finally see that water that Luffy did not want to waste earlier. He's using it now instead of drinking it directly. He's using it to soak himself for his punches or... When Crocodile lands like that dehydration move and gets like a, an arm like completely malnourished, uh, they established at two points earlier that Luffy just has to drink water and it's back to normal. It's it's not it's literally like I think you mentioned it where drinking water cancels the magical effect where the dehydration has all the effects of dehydration, but 
it's a magic curse. It's a curse more than anything. So if you drink water, it cancels it out. So it's not like how do you get that watch water into your blood back into your arm? It makes it doesn't make physical sense. It's like no, think of it like a curse. Think of it like magic. Um, they established it multiple times. Um, it happens to Luffy's arm. It happens later on with his whole body. We'll get to that at some point. Should we talk about now round two of Luffy and Crocodile or? Uh, that, I mean, we basically did. They get their little fight on. They're going back and forth. Luffy loses again in the end by getting completely right. dehydrated. <laughs> yeah. So Crocodile like fixes his hair. Like he's still got the confidence, right? Like, okay, you got the clean hit and I lost my cigar, but you know what? I'll clean up my hair. He greases it back backwards. Um, and then they have their fights. Uh, Crocodile's like stronger than you think. He turns out he's more of an earthbender than a sandbender. He can right. shatter the uh, by dehydration. I'm still not quite sure about how that works, but whatever. Same. I just think of it as aging. I just think, I just see it as aging, right? But either right. way, something like he that. Has not, yeah, he's got crazy powers. There is a crazy moment where I got freaked out because of how well it was drawn. He gets a clean grasp on Luffy uh, by his neck and then drains him of all of his water. Yeah. And it's not one for one as good because this artist I'm about to mention is one of the best artists in manga, but I got Junji Ito vibes from looking at uh, Luffy's face. Do you know who that is? Junji Ito? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, the, for those who don't know, he's the horror manga artist known for Uzumaki, known for very dark lines and creepy realistic art, but also like super fantastical and spiritual where you're just going like, Ugh, it's so unsettling seeing his art. And I'm not going to compare Oda's got great artwork, but I'm not going to say it's as good as Jinji Ito's like he that's a that's a plane of existence. That's different. Yeah, right? told different, totally different style as well. Yeah, but regardless, I saw like almost like inspiration from it or inspired to it. Like, oh, my God, is <laughs> is one piece a, a reference to Jinji Ito's artwork? <laughs> anyway, well, <laughs> um, sorry, Jinji Ito inspired shit with Luffy's mummified look where his pupils are gone. And it looks so frightening. And I'm like, oh, my fucking God. But they established in the scene earlier where he's shooting up water balls, water cannons, and Crocodile's just going gloating like you missed. He he does the better thing, which he didn't do to Vivi earlier, which he probably realized he should have done earlier, right? Drain first, then drop, right? Make sure they're double dead. Where <laughs> it doesn't work. Where he does it and drops Luffy, but because he's mummified, I think that he just like kind of like almost floats down because you're lighter so you're kind of like oh you drop to the floor but you're kind of whatever but then well regardless he's luffy but the water lands back down splashes luffy and i think one lands in his mouth or do they all land in his mouth i forget which i think it just um, landed on him and i guess he yeah. managed to drink enough it's, yeah, yeah right because again water cancels out the curse effect because right away i remember reading this the first time going that makes no sense but that's why i was explaining earlier where it's like it's a it's countering a curse it's countering the devil fruit right devil powers so get a little bit enough water in you then cancels it out luffy's back to back to awake and tries to track down crocodile and because crocodile thinks he's won because after round two crocodile wins it wasn't a perfect round this time though it was more like would you say like 50 percent of the health bar gone maybe in the first in the second round. yeah it was much much closer Maybe one, maybe one third. We'll give Crocodile that. Maybe one third. Like, because, you know, Luffy's put up a good fight. He's landing blows, but Crocodile, Crocodile still has, like, great advantages to his edge because that power is crazy. But, uh, mausoleum time? Or. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Well, they go to the mausoleum, Nico Robin and King Cobra, and Crocodile yeah. goes and catches up to them. 
Yeah, we do get the whole bomb stuff going on before we see the end, but we that's can do that's why that's first. yeah that's why I was asking because they do flip flop back and forth during this time where it's Cobra, Nico, and Crocodile in the mausoleum uh, with the straw hats, like desperately trying to find the bomb, trying to figure it out. Um, the notes I have that's here like, are it's pretty short there, so let's go over that real quick. The whole bomb scene. Like, Vivi okay, realizes, yeah. oh, it has to be up there in the clock tower. Nice yeah, and high, high you can point. shoot anywhere, good trajectories. Yeah. And then Usopp does his cool, like, smoke signal that signals all the straw hats, like, hey, we know where it is. Yeah. Zoro's, like, out in the jungle somewhere, like, outside of the city, which was just, you mm-hmm. know, hilarious, terrible sense of direction joke. Yeah. They get their, uh, they get their signals, they get their individual notes where to meet, um... They basically set it up where, by the way, Usopp is completely bandaged. Poor Usopp. But so yeah, he's like, that was he's like, like a mummy. Yeah, so it kind of like reaffirms where it's like, like yeah, Usopp was oversold on that death blow kind of thing. But it's like at least he's completely bandaged up, like he's useless at this point. Right. Um, they're dragging him by his nose. They're teasing him. But they all get to the clock tower, and it's a little bit like convenience for the writing's sake. But I'll let it slide where it's like, oh, Sanji just happens to be on the first or second floor of the clock tower. Zoro is like two floors above him. So, oh, by convenience, we have this little ladder thing we could do yeah. where people on the ground will send Vivi up. Sanji will be the second to send her up again. And it'll be like a chain reaction where it's like just boop, 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 like a, almost like a Mario party, like a Mario effect where it's like you just yeah. jump on enemies float in the air. So you just go higher and higher and higher. Um, yeah, like bur- when they when they threw her up on top of Usopp, right, and jumped, I was like, I'm pretty sure physics doesn't work like that, but I guess I'll allow <laughs> it. Yeah, at this point, I'm allowing it because like Nami's using the climb attack, where it's like, okay, I'm seeing some more potential with this crazy unique weapon. Um, she's using it as the the wind powers to get a good trajectory to launch her up or to help out at some point. Um, the Barak agents that are up there they're like mr seven or mr seven mr seven or something uh yeah miss father's day yeah and they're trying to shoot from above uh i really honestly don't even know their powers i really didn't care i just thought they have a gun they didn't um, have time to do anything they yeah they're jack yeah they're they did, said, right yeah they're playing sentry guard duty and they're really terrible at it but they're trying to shoot from above they're trying to give them a hard time they actually shoot zoro but you know it's zoro it's it's just a flesh wound um in midair, they actually successfully launch Vivi into the tower. Uh, they give you like a little like false flag where it's like, oh, Vivi missed her attack and time is of the essence. Like they're counting down at seconds at this point and the anxiety and stress is at all time high. Um, they give you that extra false flag where Vivi failed again. We're like, oh, she missed her initial attacks. But then they have like a little boomerang effect. So they came back and knocked him down one hit. She gets a great moment like that. And then she actually diffuses the, um, she stops the fuse from being lit. She cuts the rope at the right time with the seconds to spare. Um, and I wish that was the end. Or we wish it was the end there. But no, Crocodile being Crocodile uh, rigged the bomb to explode on a timer a few seconds after just in case the just cannon didn't fire. Just in case. Because Crocodile is just such a villain. I love it. Yeah. Um, like like we said, all angles covered. He didn't want to take any chances. He's a, he's a smart guy. Yeah, and by the way, is this like as close to a nuke as you can get? Because he said that causes a three mile in diameter crater. Yeah, that's a nuke. And I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, it doesn't matter if the clock tower isn't going to be far from the clock tower. That's close enough where that courtyard is still going to be vaporized. So I'm guessing it's close, close to the palace. And that's why uh, maybe Crocodile didn't want it to blow up there. But regardless, he's like, ah, whatever. Um, 
And then we get a very Dark Knight Rises moment from Pell, where he returns. He's shot and wounded from Nico Robin, from the agents that shot him from the sky earlier. He, we get this personal moment where he realizes he's he's done at this point. He knows what he has to do. Where Vivi is like struggling. She's trying to scream, like, stop fighting. It's not working. I can't defuse the bomb. It's not working. Like, again, Vivi's going through this failure after failure, but she's not giving up. But luckily, the loyalty pays off with Pell, a great warrior guy, great aesthetic design, where he, like, he's, he's like 0 for 2 in terms of fights at this point. Like, he's a good fighter, supposedly, but he's been losing over and over. But we finally get the win from Pell, where he says his final goodbyes to Vivi, going, It's been nice working with you takes the bomb, flies as high as he can, and then he just leaves this big ball of fire that detonates above. And Vivi hopes that that explosion, you know, like kind of original plan with the palace, right? Where hopefully this destruction of this bomb or this explosion would be enough to pe- freeze people for long enough just for me to attempt to try and pull with them, right? It's not a realistic plan, but it's part of our original plan. Um, and so we get the sacrifice, Rip Pell, um, get a nitpick here. I didn't feel it that much repel. Sadly, it was a Dark Knight Rises moment, but I didn't. The emotion wasn't there. Where I'm like, yeah, you're not really connected to him at yeah. that much. Like I wasn't either. It was a good I, moment, and I respected him in that moment. Yeah. You know, but I wasn't like but, saddened or disheartened. Yeah, really. it was. It was more like, okay, this is the this is the, gonna be the next moment in the plot. This is the part that makes sense. Pels the person connected with Vivi for being like the, the tough mentor kind of person that cares for her. And then he goes and sacrifices himself. But at the end of the day, he was a side character that got beaten real quick by Nico Robin was out for as long as Luffy. And then also gets shot by like, again, like there, there's, he's a really cool design uh, aesthetically, but at the yeah. end of the day, he just didn't do that much to earn my emotional connection. To really feel the sacrifice. Should if it was Karu, I would have had a cry and bawled my eyes oh, out. Oh, <laughs> I thought it was going to be fucking Karu originally. No yeah. joke. I thought it was going to be Karu. I did too. I did because too. I thought it was going to fly it away. They, they established that this is the fastest land mammal on the on in Alabasta. This is him scaling a cliffside, going straight up. I thought he was going to scale the clock tower, right? Yeah. To grab the bomb, and then maybe the whole squadron too. And they all carry the bomb, run as fast as they can to the outside uh, skirmishes of Ugh, uh, that would have been palace. So, that would have yeah, been really good. That would have gotten me. me. That would have gotten me. I would have yeah. been like, Justin, how dare you make me read this series? How dare you? But <laughs> yeah, that that would have made me cry. I think I love Karu too much. <laughs> yeah, but I think even Oda was like, I can't do that. <laughs> I like Karu. Yeah, <laughs> right. So we had Pell instead make the sacrifice. So it's a good moment, but again, the emotional connection wasn't there, but it was, it was set up. Like it was supposed to be like this very deep emotional moment, at least for Vivi it was, but for us as readers, I didn't feel it. Yeah. Um, and then right we, after that, it finally starts to rain. Right. Cause at the same time, not, getting up, but we not quite, not quite. That's why I want to get to the fight. Now the mausoleum well, it, now. it is right there, but yeah. So like, Let's go back well, to the mausoleum. We have Nico yeah. Robin. She reads the Poneglyph, and then Crocodile shows up, and he's like, all right, where's the Pluton? She's like, oh, uh, yeah, sorry. It, it literally has nothing about the Pluton. It's just the history of the country. Yeah, so, so to emphasize this scene, because to me, this actually was like a big oh shit moment, where the Poneglyph, I thought originally was like a logbook, right? Like that's why I mentioned the uh, Sanji's mentor, where I'm like, oh, is it just like some kind of record, right? But and, Or maybe like some just hieroglyphics on the wall. But... It's this cube. It's like this standalone cube in a room with this hieroglyphic writing 
that the king himself doesn't know how to read. So it's almost hinting that it's like this ancient civilization, like this ancient knowledge. So I was like, ooh, this is very interesting. So, but even more interesting, this character can read this. It's, and it's fluidly. It's not just like, oh, give me some time and I could slowly, you know, because real high graphics are really hard to read in the in the yeah. modern day we, we still have a hard time reading understanding them but she can read this ancient knowledge and i'm thinking like uh, is this like the protheans from mass effect is this the forerunners from halo what is this hopefully it's not super sci-fi like those examples hopefully it's an ancient civilization regardless because this is a lot for the lore building where it's like maybe you could explain more about the grand line maybe about the world i don't know there's a lot of potential here also nico robin is kind of an archaeologist which is really, yes. which is like really cool. I didn't expect that in the world of uh, in the series about pirates. Like, okay, cool, I'm down. Really sick. But yeah, what's on the world building? So according to Nico Robin, what's on the Poneglyph? Uh, the history of Alabasta. Yeah. So according, <laughs> so Crocodile made the deal with Nico Robin. Okay, you can read this ancient knowledge. We know there's a Poneglyph somewhere in Alabasta. I want this plan to go through, but I'm pretty sure this thing has info on the Pluton. So I'll take you with me. We'll team up. You're really strong. And then Nico just goes, it's just a history, right? Like, there's like, this is the great history of the kingdom. This king ruled from here to here. This king was responsible for this battle here. This, and then Crocodile's like, wait, 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 wait. Where's the Pluton? And then she goes, it's nothing. It's just the history. And then Crocodile, in very Crocodile manner is, well, the deal was to get you to the Poneglyph so you can tell me where the Pluton is. You didn't fulfill your part of the deal, so I'm going to kill you now. Okay, bye. So. <laughs> nice working with you. That's real yeah, that, yeah, that's working with you. And then at first, Nico is like, whoa, 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 wait, what? But then it's like, she kind of expected it to happen. She had like the plan where she was going to hold him still with her crazy arm power, which again, I still think it's fucking broken. Um, I thought it was <laughs> because she used the hand to hold him still, right? Or, or no, I think she had hands holding his feet still. And then she had a, another hand with a vial because she threw a water vial past him where he has, again, a you missed moment that he said they Luffy earlier. She has a hand come up, grab it from behind Crocodile, grab the vial, and I was about to throw it on him so that she can, like, I guess, I don't know, attack him after that, but or cancel his powers. But he teleports just in time. He does the backstab thing where he's like, too slow, kid. Nothing personnel, kid. And then mm-hmm. just, yeah, very unfortunate. Um, Wiped. Yeah. Good attempt, so, though. Good attempt. It was a good attempt. She had a plan. But unfortunately, it was, again, Crocodile being fucking crocodile it was strong a much better attempt than the 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 claw squad the one with the fatal flu. oh yeah because, because she knew the weakness so she had water <laughs> um or at least she learned it thanks to luffy i don't know um part of the reason why maybe she was you know watching the d fight so she was like oh water okay and then again i think she knew before because that's like a vial of water like where'd she get the vial right so maybe she yeah. knew already um luffy shows up again he's able to track where they are he has a rest prior to that because, again, they're emphasizing he's still wounded. He's still hurt. He's got a gaping hole in his chest still. It's bandaged. I don't know who did it, but I'm guessing Pell. Um, mm-hmm. And they established that the hole's still there, but Luffy being Luffy is just like, yeah, whatever. I just need a nap every now and then and feed me. Um, he catches up and the mausoleum is collapsing because I think after. Is it because they had a little fight and he damaged some of the structure? And so the entire mausoleum started collapsing. Or the, the king said he knew a way to like do that. Yeah. So remember, they, he's they like, were, there was a certain but, stone or somewhere in the pillar that he could remove that would 
I guess yeah, the load bearing they... pillar or stone that rigged it to collapse. He's like, yeah, I got to take you with me. This is Alabaster's yeah, gotcha. like last way to protect our Poneglyph, I guess. Yeah, I, I understood that part. I understood that he was he understood what was happening, which is why he embraced like, as the twelfth and probably final king of my of my dynasty. You will be buried with me, kind of thing. But I was just unsure if it was because they opened a stone that was covering the stairwell that caused the trap to occur, like Indiana Jones style. No, no, no. Okay. They said the, specifically that the king did something and removed something that okay, caused okay, the okay. whole place to collapse. Because okay, I was like, what did you do? And he's like, well, you're going to die with me, motherfucker. You know, like, suck Yeah, it. okay. Okay. Well, either way, that wasn't too important. Regardless, it was yeah, just, yeah. I was just curious about that part. Uh, Luffy does show up and we get round three, right? And it's a great setup for the fight where crocodile is still like that hair is already like a little messed up from before he didn't really fix it it's kind of so i'm bringing this up because again i like visual storytelling and his hair being undone his wounds still being there his cigar not being there it's showing yeah. but his smile is still there it's still showing okay so this bad guy this bad boy he's still got his confidence in there but you can tell it's wearing him down he doesn't have the greased up hair he doesn't have the cigar. Mm-hmm. His his smile isn't as wide and confident. It's more like wide and mischievous now. Where it's, you know, the typical villain look. But you see the HP bar went down from the last fight. So now we got round three. And this is the most metal fucking shit so far I think I've seen. Besides Luffy <laughs> punching uh, Don Krieg, right? Yeah. With, the, uh, with the steel uh, cape. Is Luffy is still bleeding and wounded from earlier. Because of his gaping wound chest. But he used that... To coat his hands with liquid because yeah, blood is made of water and punches the shit out of the crocodile. And the crocodile's like, but you don't have your water. It, 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 uh, it, the barrel broke earlier and you just see the fucking blood on his head. You're like, oh my fucking God, dude. Yeah, pretty, he's like, he's similar to Vivi in that sense. He'll just keep on going, keep on fighting. And he always has another plan or another way, you know, once he figures out. If I can't use if I can't use water, I'll use my blood, motherfucker. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we can kind of rush through this, right? Where it's like they yeah. have a really good fight. Uh, if you haven't read it or watched it, I recommend it highly. It is a good fight, but in terms of plot, you can kind of skim to the end and go. They had a good finale where uh, crocodile is sent launching up into uh, past the mausoleum up to the sky. And he and Luffy have, like, this final, like, you know, like the Shonen, like, level three supers powered up kind of thing. And which is stronger. Luffy's ends up prevailing. Crocodile gets the final blow. And he is defeated. Um, The reason why I stopped you earlier, Justin, when you said then the rain started, it was because not quite. When the bomb was defused and exploded, there was still a chapter of the rebels and loyalists still fighting. Because their adrenaline's pumping. They still thought Koza's dead. Like, we can't just stop fighting. There's a bigger explosion, sure. But, okay, that's off there. Okay, we still got to fight here, right? So, Vivi is screaming and pleading over and over again while the Straw Hats are, like, struggling. They're panicking now where it's like, okay, the bomb stopped, but the fighting's still going. Like, Nami's trying urging, like, like Zoro, like, Sanji, do something. What do you want us to do? Knock people out. I don't know. Like, they are, they are like, literally at their last desperation where they have no plans, right? This is, like, literally, yeah. like, the last line they are they are like very mixed with results, if not more negative. But what do we do now, right? And Vivi's obviously like horribly strained at this point. Pell just died. She her plan is failing over and over again. Uh, she's not sure if Luffy's winning the fight or not. She has faith in him, but she's not sure yet. But then after she pleads one final time, like she's screaming, "Please stop fighting!" And then 
finally the rain starts. Yeah. Because Crocodile was holding back the rain the whole time. He is that fucking strong, dude. He's able to control the weather. He doesn't need dance powder. Dance powder helps. But Crocodile is like, I'll make sure because of the sandstorm abilities, I'll make sure the, the rain clouds stay away or something like that. Dehydration. Yeah. Um, and you know what? I bet that's what how he kept his hair greased up. It's all the rain that was culminated that he just dehydrated away. <laughs> right. He just keep, that's how he keeps his hair soaked the whole time. Anyway, um, the rain starts, and that's actually enough for everyone to stop fighting for a second. Even Koza, you know, who's wounded, he's not dead at this point. He reaches his hand out and goes, "Do you feel that? That's rain." The, the whole reason why they were starting to fight in the first place was because people were malnourished. They were starving because there was no rain. Hence why they were pleading, hey, use a dance pyre, save us, because, you know, we're getting desperate. Rain starts, and they're going, oh, shit, it's raining again. It's a miracle, right? It's been three years since it last rained, I think, according to uh, yeah, three according years. to Soto. Um, but also when it rains and it stops fighting, you know, you're, you no longer have the steel clashing with one another. You don't have the boots and feet moving around. Everyone's just silent for a second because they're looking at the rain. And then finally they hear Vivi in a very Attack on Titan type of way, where it's like, you know, just shouting from like the highest building is enough to make your voice boom that far away. I'll let it slide. Um, Where she screams finally, please stop fighting. And it gives people just enough time to go, why? And I liked it where they didn't just go, oh, the princess has stopped fighting, let's stop fighting. They literally have a moment where it's like, why should we stop fighting? Like the king started this, Koza is shot. And then one after the other, you get all the people coming together, like Igarim, major plot armor, by the way. He survived the boat explosion yeah. from Whiskey Peak somehow. I think at um, least since it seems like Nigo Robin was never really that much on Crocodile's side. That's what makes me curious. Yeah, the ulterior like motive. Yeah, yeah, the ulterior motive where it's like, okay, what's this person planning? Because, yeah, I guess she might have saved Igarim or moved him somewhere. He never mentions it. But maybe knocked him out, right? And then took him away and then exploded the boat. I don't know. Whatever. We might find out later. Um, excuse me. And Igram brings back the boy who was knocked out earlier by Mr. One. Um, and the boy is going, no, that wasn't the king that started off that feud, you know, before the boat crashed that dropped off the weapons. It was one of the agents disguised as him. And those weren't loyalists. Those were agents. Like, look at their tattoos, yeah. right? Or look at their hats. They're not very sly. They're not very sly. They establish that they either have very obvious, like, like Barack Works tattoo on their shoulders, or they have like a big yeah. BW <laughs> hat. Yeah. Like, they're not very good at their disguises, right? So it kind of sells people where it's like, okay, wait, so okay, so we had insiders, we had conspiracy going on, um, and they're like, okay, that's one boy, but what's but they shot Koza. Koza's there, like he's limped over to the scene, going, no, you guys aren't understanding crocodile that hero that we thought that we tolerated because he's helping us was the villain behind it all so it all starts domino affecting into each other where it's like the people are feeling like we've been played we've been fooled but now we have this miracle here's the king and the king just goes this was a civil war we can't forget about it but we must do our best to push forward and rebuild and grow forward right and so it's met with like a mixed, uh, a mixed if not positive result because people are just happy the war is over. Um, the thought, the fathers that are back home are going, "Oh my god, finally our boys can come home!" Oh my god. So it's this big celebratory moment for a lot of people. But you know, people bloodshed has still been spilt, so it's obviously not like the big happy like Star Wars moment yeah, where everyone's course. celebrating at the end. But it's more like, "Hey, it's raining. We got this for now." Um, so Croc defeated. 
army yeah, of stuff. Yeah, then I feel like we can basically fast track it there, right? The straw hats, they all they collapse from exhaustion and Right, that was the great And we moment. did we okay. did kind of skip over Smoker and Tashigi had a little arc going on here as well, mainly Tashigi. Yeah. Where she tried to confront Nico Robin and just got wiped completely. And it didn't mm-hmm. work, so then she she's not, like, taken out. She's still awake. And then Luffy comes along, and she sends Luffy the right way. And that's how he found them at the mausoleum. And also, yeah. when the Straw Hats do collapse from their exhaustion after the fight, the Marines are like, oh, sweet, easy, we can capture them. And she's like, no, we, we can't. That's just my own honor. They did everything here that we couldn't. We, we can't capture them. Not like this. Yeah, the mini arc with Tashigi is, I'm not too much of a fan of this. Like, honestly, I kind of rush through these a little bit because i'm not yeah that's why i just cliff noted at this point but i did like the possible characterization of like okay here's a side character who's just really unsure of her role in the navy her role of like as a you know as a protector of the peace what am i doing am i actually a justice carrier what am i doing she's like also like mentally uh challenged not like in the literal like term like medical term but more like she's challenged mentally by crocodile going like what why who are you to spread your version of justice when might is right right so she has right. like a very similar zoro approach now where it's like i have to get stronger if i want to actually reinforce my beliefs and you got the side art going on which is why she doesn't want to arrest the straw hats but i do want to establish one of my favorite panels of this entire arc was for those who don't know justin you know i read this entire arc in one night after we recorded uh, Drum Island, I was like, okay, let me read this. The pacing was amazing. I read all 60 plus chapters. But when <laughs> I got to this panel, like this is like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. at this point. You get all the Straw Hats after they uh, sent Vivi with the king to the palace. And then they just all collapse from exhaustion. I'm just like, oh, sweet release. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> I, felt like, I felt like dropping the phone at that point and being like, all right, time for me to call it to later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because all that tension, all that anxiety of myself, the Straw Hats, it all paid off. And now finally you can just rest for a minute. So it was just a great moment where I'm like, oh, I'm with you guys too, man. And again, at the end of the day, much better than the freeze of five minutes because even though like that was definitely it seemed longer than 30 minutes the tension was a hundred and ten percent still there so i'll let it slide if as long as the tension's still there and the desperation's still there yeah because it makes this moment right here so much better where the straw hats are collapsed they're tired they're out of it meanwhile the king and the city are going long live alabasta and we actually get like a good like send off message where it's like almost like the archives of a historian where it's like the battle of Alabasta's devastating civil war along with those battles never mentioned in the pages of history as it cuts to the straw hats finally mm-hmm. coming to an end. And I'm like, that's actually a great way to conclude it. But that's still yeah. four more chapters ago at this point. Yeah, this is also kind of a fast track. I think you get the whole classic straw hat party i do love that you know the guards initially i like the scene where they're like wow why is this funny but even they can't deny like luffy's and their charisma and they start laughing along at all the the straw hat antics you know how how long how much vivi's getting along with them despite their antics yeah it's like luffy's just he's just that charismatic he kind of makes an ally or at least people Mm -hmm. like him they like him inherently because he's just fun you know and the straw hats are a fun crew 
Yeah, Luffy's just eating uh, food where he's like, he's trying to talk to the king with his mouth full. And the king's just like, I'll just talk to you after. And then Luffy's just like, okay. And then you just see that great panel where he's like, like his mouth turns into like a vacuum and he eats like a tablecloth and the dishes and everything <laughs> yeah. at the same time. Oh, like, freaking Luffy. And at that point, it's like even more so than before because according to him, because he's been passed out for three days at this point. And according to him, he needs 15 meals worth of food because right. meals a day, according to Luffy. It makes sense, it's Luffy. Um, great Luke, moments I like how that. Nami was so surprised. Like, wow, you did that calculation really fast. Yeah, like of all things, you're. It's almost like Goku. Like they always around with Goku and Dragon Ball Z, where it's like you're really, really smart when it comes to fighting. Everything else, though, you are a dimwit. In this case, Luffy's like, wow, you're really smart when it comes to eating. Everything else, yeah. <laughs> well, fighting you're good too, but you know, and fighting, um, yeah, yeah. We get our cliche. Like bathhouse scene, you, gotta, you know it's the it's the epilogue, right? We need our fans. Yeah, the one thing I do want to say about that scene, I know like a lot of people aren't that fond of it, but I actually do like that Nami is just super super comfortable with her own body. Like, I mean, come on, she knows she's super hot, and she's not hey, afraid to just flaunt it, it sometimes. And I honestly respect that about her. <laughs> yeah. Hey, by the way, he said it, not me. Okay. Second, of I'm all, just saying, yeah, I respect I, that for her. I, yeah, I really I would, do. I, it's a very unique say, take on uh, like a shonen girl, you know. Yeah, I was gonna say I 100 agree too because I'm thinking. Okay, you get the moment where, by the way, very creepy. King Cobra is doing this too. He's peeping on his own daughter in Nami. I'm just like, dude. He wasn't, I mean, come on. He wasn't looking at his daughter. He was looking at Nami. Oh, either way. I'm just like, dude, come on. Either way, Igarum does it too. Like, they're all guilty, right? Yeah, it is a little weird, But what I do like is all the guys are peeping and Nami's just like, oh my God, I can't be helped. Nami being Nami, she finds a way to run the bank of Nami which I mentioned earlier, her plan to get everyone in depth. And that's how she climbs into power. After this moment, she is in power because she gives them what she calls the happiness punch. And she, <laughs> yeah. she like, it's a sexy scene, right? Like she's in the bathhouse. She's all wit. She's throwing off her tits. And like, oh, look at me. And then she goes, that's a hundred thousand berries each. <laughs> so I'm like, the power ascension is complete. Even Alabasta now is in debt to Nami. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then the next panel after that, where she's like, she's just hanging back. She's chilling in the bathhouse and she's just going like, yeah, you know, I did it because they know what I look like. Thanks to Mr. Two. So might as well make some money off of it. So I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I accept that. I accept. I that. also really liked that. Uh, I, I think it, I don't remember if it was Alabasta or Drum when we mentioned like Big Brother Zoro with that just that one panel where him and Chopper and he's like washing Chopper's back. I just I love those moments, you know? Oh, yeah. A little moment like that. Yeah. Um. I guess it doesn't really hit me as much when those scenes happen because I know in Japan that's it's that's normal for bathhouses where people like wash each other's backs kind of thing. I guess as an American that's weird for me because I never think that's normal because I think like when you're bathing that's a private thing like no one there. Yeah. So when I see that and I see friends doing that again, a Japanese culture difference. I just go okay, I guess that's a thing. But yeah, you picked up on that, so like you mentioned that, so like okay, that's actually a good point. Where yeah, Zoro helping Chopper bathe, um, and then. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I already mentioned it. Like the fuck, King Cobra. I wrote that. I know. It's like the fuck. <laughs> yeah. But um, regardless, Nami is picking up because again, Nami is very good at. I think she's like the best recruiter too. Again, burden really. Anyway, um, she know she knows Vivi is like in a weird place mentally right now, where she's like, "You're a princess. You want us to hear, but you're thinking about joining us." Like, I get you. It's it's hard. It's right. hard to decide right now. Um. So eventually they give her like a time limit because things get tense later on. But we do establish um, the wanted tags. The wanted posters have increased in prices as well. Yeah. So what are the bounties? Uh, Zoro 
has increased to 60 million berries. That's not more From than Arlong. Zero to 60. <laughs> yeah. First, well, first bounty for yeah. Zoro. So is 60 million, uh, that's more than Arlong, right? Arlong was 40 million? That's more than million? Luffy's first bounty, which was 30 oh, that, million. Actually, yeah, that's true too. So it doubled Luffy's original, but Luffy is now 100 million. That was more than Crocodile, Let's which makes go. sense because he beat Crocodile. So, and if you want to kind of calculate it, the the rough conversion rate that people have established based on one single cover, I think, which <laughs> had a cabbage like price of berries, roughly oh, okay. ninety three berries per one U.S. dollar. Okay, so is that kind of similar to Japanese currency? Yeah, or... it's pretty darn close to. to it's similar esque. Okay, so this is about ten million dollars almost um, in a wine price. That's that's a, lot, that's a lot of money. I mean, I mean, Luffy's a good guy, but ten million. That, that, I mean, what ninety three to. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, about ten million, something like that, like uh, nine I mean, point something million. I mean, that's pretty good. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, you I can like, see why I everyone mean, wants to capture him when they see him. You know, like uh, they'll be made for life at that price. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, we actually get a result again from. Oh, real quick, they introduced a new character because the Navy reinforcements arrived. This is totally Mira Armstrong from Formula Alchemist before Formula Alchemist. It's uh, Captain Black Cage Hina. Yeah, she Hina. talks. She talks in third person, but um, the reason why yeah, I say she reminds me, yeah, she reminds me of General Armstrong is she's got the same big lips. She's got the same like very tough general persona where it's like, I'm in charge. No bullshit. I'm doing this for like, you know, you got that confidence matter, right? Where it's yeah, like, okay, totally. let's, let's see. Let's see. Now, I'm not saying Hina is better than General Armstrong because General Armstrong is top tier. Okay. You got to work hard to be past that. But I got that vibe when I saw Hina and I got, okay. Let's see what you can do. And um, two more returning characters, Django and Full Body, are now part yeah, of the squad. So which we saw them we, together yeah. in the cover story, mm-hmm, the pre-chapter stories. We are we kind of like we were, we learned to just address it when it comes up, but we are keeping track. Like um, I think right now, the next one we have to look out for is uh, the Squid Guy Hachi. What's his name? Hachi? Yeah, yeah, Hachi. It's Hachi's yeah, like sea so- floor stroll or something. He, yeah, so that's the next one going on right now. And because they do it, Odo's doing a really good job with these pre-chapter stories where it's like, okay, these characters and these backstories, they will likely come out in the future for sure now because this is the second time now when we had, like, uh, before it was Buggy and his crew with Alvida. Now mm-hmm. it's uh, Django and uh, Full Body. And now they're just henchmen to Black Cage, Captain Black Cage. And, and now it's like, okay, they're Navy officers. Well, Full Body was a Navy officer anyway. But uh, Django became his friend through the pre-chapter story. It was actually quite hilarious. Um, Where they're buddies now, and they work together. So, okay, Django is here now. All right, cool. Although he felt like a real side character this time, but one that you knew he had history of. So it's like, okay, cool. That's fine. Because, you know, Django came from arguably one of the least arcs. So he probably wasn't going to have a big role to begin with. But either way, I'm fine with it. It's just nice in general to see, like... That Oda does kind of think about the characters that seemingly disappear. And they're still going to be up to something. And sometimes yeah. that'll lead them to come back around the story. Even if, like in this case, a pretty small way. Yeah, the ones that can come back, right? So it's like, okay, yeah, sure. This one with this fun story. And by the way, this is why Django is here. But he is still like a very small minor character. Like, I think he does almost nothing. But you see him there. He tries to apprehend the Straw Hats when they try to flee. Um, they have a very unique adventure, though, when they try to flee. Because... A person calls them on the, the snail telegram, and it's Mr. Two going, yo, I have your ship. Meet me up river. And they're going, what? It could be a trap. But he's like, no, it's we're friends. Meet me up river. 
Yeah, Luffy's like, 20. hey, I thought that was our friend. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, but obviously, like, you know, people who work their friends, like Zoro and Sanji, are going like, ew, what the hell? And Yeah, I love Mr. that when they get there, he is just like, like, I saved it because we're friends. And Luffy's basically, like, told to. <laughs> it's, such, it's such a stupid, silly, shonen anime moment, but I mm-hmm. dig it because they established Mr. 2 has this weird, crazy personality. And also, he did treat them as friends before he treated them as enemies. And then he explained, well, I'm unemployed now. And my job originally was to kill Vivi, but I'm unemployed now, and I just do my job. But I know we're friends, so it's like, okay, this guy is chaotic neutral, basically. Where yeah. he's like, yeah, honestly, he was he was like likable enough in what we've seen, like even in his fight with Sanji, to where at this yeah. point I actually started to really like Mister Two. I was like, okay, like yeah, in like, the, like, especially the part that follows. Like it's still a creepy dude with a toxic personality, but he can also be very friendly. So I'm like, all right, you're being okay for now. Um. He helps them escape because he's actually, it almost makes you think he's going to be joining the Straw Hats temporarily because he's on the boat for a chapter. Right. They're under fire by Navy, the Navy blockade. Um, Usopp gets this amazing shot <laughs> that I love where he even goes, oh, did I do that? He fires yeah. like one shot. It hits like the gunpowder armory storage, like in one of the boats that's next to another. And they both blow up. <laughs> and they mm. just go, Usopp, did you do that? He's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, he's because, like just as amazed. Yeah, so like, Usopp doesn't do enough. He always takes credit, right? Where he goes, man, I can't believe I beat Crocodile like that. I'm so strong. But then when he actually does something amazing like this, he is speechless because he goes, uh. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, don't <laughs> sleep on the Destroyer King, Captain Usopp. <laughs> I, I am not I am not sleeping on Usopp. This is the reason why he's still one of my top favorites, man. This little moments like this are so great. But, yeah, um, so I like that scene there. They're going to meet Vivi, and even though, like, Usopp landed the great shot and he kind of cleared a path, Mr. Two says, it like, oh, sweet, you cleared a path, let's go. And they're like, no, mm-hmm. we can't, we gotta go this way. And he's like, what? Like, you know, why? That we yeah. gotta, it's for a friend. And that, mm-hmm. Mr. Two, like, he starts crying a little bit, he's touched, he's like, you do like, that for a friend? <laughs> like, she's like, all right, I'll cover you, do your thing. Yeah, that yeah, that was the thing, moment man. where I was like, oh, man, Mr. Two. All right, like, yeah, exactly, where it's like, this is, like, as a person, I really don't like Mr. Two, but as a character, this is a very interesting side character. So yeah. I'm convinced this guy will see this guy again because he had such an impression on the Straw Hats where he's like, oh, I'm your buddy. I'm your friend. And he he and I think a couple of loyal goons he still had, they disguised themselves as a Straw Hats. They dealt with uh, with Captain Black Cage, who was uh, personally there to try and stop the uh, merry-go. But it doesn't show what happens to him. So I think we might see him again, uh, like at a break. I don't know. I'm thinking like prison break, but it I don't know. Kind of looked like his spoilers. ship got blown up, but maybe. Well, he, um, him, and his, him and his crew were jumping onto the marine ship, and his ship. Got yeah, they're boarding. It looked like so. Yeah, yeah they're we'll boarding the enemy them. ship. I thought it was Black Cage's ship. That's why I was saying like, yeah, yeah, he I lost because we see, yeah, because we see Black Cage later talking to Smoker. Um. Right. Where, oh, by the way, the Navy is giving full credit to Tashigi and Smoker, even though they fully know they did nothing to stop Crocodile. And they even right. the report where, like, they're trying to give credit to the Straw Hats. The Navy was like, okay, we took credit that they did some bad shit. That's why we bumped the bounty for Luffy and Zoro. But you guys get promotions because we need to take the credit for this. And then I think he says go shove off or something. Like, Smoker is, like, almost pulling, yeah. like, a anti-establishment, like, type of role where he's like... I'm going to do my thing, and I want to do it right. Don't give me credit where credit's not due. Because after yeah. all, he's trying to teach Tashigi to get stronger, learn from your mistakes. Like It was, a, it was actually a nice little moment with this side plot yeah, where I'm not totally on board with. But it's like, yeah, a small moment where it's like, all right, we got to get stronger from this. 
We don't want to be cuddled or promoted for wrong reasons. We want to earn this. I'm like, okay. So you're going to be like your consistent antagonists to the Straw Hats. Maybe not like permanent, which I hope it's not like every other arc, maybe every other volume. But when it happens, you know, they'll be there. They'll be like, oh, they'll be like a mini team rocket almost. Um, <laughs> like side characters. Um, I think two major things left, right? There's the first obvious one, which is Vivi uh, making the speech yeah. to the people. But let's, let's talk there. about the big moment. So they, the Strahds go. They plan to meet Vivi to give her one more chance to decide if she wants to come with them. She does show up, but she can't join. Did she you also, think, at any point think she was going to join? So I think you asked me this way back uh, when they first got to the Grand think, Line. Yeah, or... Reverse Mountain, yeah. Oh, no, I think you asked me what do you think of Mr. Five, I think. Or, sorry, Miss, uh, what's her name? Well, Miss Wednesday. Wednesday it was. Yeah, her name was Miss Wednesday. Sorry, Mr. Five, what the hell? Um, I even said Mr. Uh, I think you asked me about that then. And I'm thinking, no, because the way it was presented, it doesn't seem like it's a lasting impression. But Alabasta <laughs> really, really try to convince you that, no, this character has a really strong chance. Because look at her enjoying her time with the Straw Hats. Look at her like enjoying the time but i'm thinking yeah she even a, had a flashback just like all the other stuff yeah you had you had you had your you know? flashback moment but yeah. here's the thing when oda always establishes we're getting a new member it's the first thing they state in the new arc and going we're going after blank where we need blank that didn't happen ever in any of the arcs with vivi so i'm thinking well, you know, I mean, I hate to boost your bubble, but that didn't happen with the next person that joins at the very end either. <laughs> yeah, okay, but hear me out. This is because you're, you're asking me about Vivi, right? So yeah, that's what this, that's your, your so thought that's process why, at the time. Yeah, yeah, my thought process exactly. So that's why throughout, I always saw her as an escort character uh, character in a video game, where it's like, okay, here's a plot device. It's very important. Okay, I'm not going to think too much about this character, whatever. And then. Drum Island happens. Okay, this character is interesting. Okay, she's actually teaching Luffy how to be a leader more. A little moment. Okay, cool. She's getting along with Usopp. Okay, cool. Anyone who likes Usopp is good in my book. Okay, cool. <laughs> and then Alabasta happens where it's like, okay, here's a really good established character. But my brain was still saying side character, plot device. A very likable side character, very likable plot device, especially because, again, that, tro that uh, theme of just getting back up after failure, after failure, after failure. Just keep trying. Think of something. Do your best. That over-optimism was both a weakness and a strength for her. In the end, it was a strength. Yeah. So and that was a great character arc for her. But um, when she, uh, at the very, very end, was the only time when I was like, is she actually going to join? When she actually wasn't yeah. at the speech and it showed Igarim there, uh, pretending to be her. Um, she was I actually really on the coastline. I really honestly. I was hoping, you know. Oh, it was, she was at the coastline. I'm thinking, oh, is she actually going to join? And then she said, but I can't join. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. So I actually had a freak out, oh, not a freak out, but like a, a fake out at the end going, oh, shit, is she actually going to join? But yeah. she doesn't. And it makes sense, right? She has a dude. It does people, make sense for her character. It's all about like ties to her country and fixing everything now. So, yeah, it, it makes yeah, more sense her, that she did not join. Her literal arc was Alabasta arc, where literally I want to save the kingdom, stop the civil war from happening, stop crocodile. She got it. But that goal doesn't mean like, you know, like I want to see the all blue. I want to map the world. I want it's those goals are like voyage adventure friendly where you have to go out, save Alabasta, stop the civil war as you know, as a possible potential straw member, straw hat member. That's not adventurous. That's like, you're good. Now you save the sub civil war and right. you're a princess. So 
complete do your job and complete the duty and be a princess stay at home but we do get a great moment where she at the end of her speech is like i wish if we meet again you call me an honorable uh shipmate and luffy tries to shout back you know of course but nami smartly stops him and goes no if you the navy is watching us still listening to us if you acknowledge what she's saying you're branding her for sure as a criminal in the eyes of the navy so i thought okay of course nami says a day yep she's not a burden Fuck you, writer. Um, <laughs> just that one little moment. And then one of the most iconic scenes in One Piece right there. Yeah, they take off the bandages, they show off the X's, and they spread it to each other, and it's like, we hear you, right? We're not shouting, but we're acknowledging it. So we hear you out. So great emotional moment. Um, Navy tries to chase the Merry-Go. Merry-Go suffers some damage, but they escape. I, yeah. <laughs> um, and I would think... Three chapters ago, that would be the end. Or even now, I would think it would be the end, because that seemed like a great way to end the arc. But we get one more chapter where it's it's a little buildup, right? Where it's like, okay, what's the Navy going to do now? What's this going to do? Small mm-hmm. things, right? Going ahead. S- smoker doing their thing. And um, uh, Straw Hats are sad about not getting Vivi. You know, they're sad, understandably. Especially Nami. Nami had a little moment when they're trekking through the desert where... She's sad about like, cause I think she knew Vivi didn't want to join or was probably not going to join, but she played off as like, Oh, I'm sad. I didn't get my billion berry reward kind of thing. Like she's, she's got a hard one. <laughs> yeah. um, then, you know, it's a point, your point where it's like, well, usually they establish at the beginning of each arc. Hey, we're going to go after this character. Okay, cool. At the very end of this arc, Nico fucking Robin is on board after recovering from her wound from crocodile and just goes, Luffy, I'm not going to forget what you did to me. I suffered a great deal, but here's the thing. I want to join your crew. End of the arc. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, huh? (laughs) How interesting. I wasn't complaining because before I thought she was an interesting, weird character when she showed up in Whiskey Peak. And, you know, she had the mannequin face, but I was like, okay, but this is a unique drawn character. And usually that's important, but I didn't think she was going to be a crew member um, right away. And then you have like, uh, just like this crazy drop at the end where she's going to join the crew. But I do have a little confession to make. Justin, I already told you this, where one of the little things I knew going forward, because again, I read the first three, four volumes of One Piece and that was it. But period little pieces of info i do know going forward i did know about nico robin joining the crew i know yeah. she joined the crew at some point uh long story short that's what i knew uh, the version i told justin was much more dramatic and weird but of how uh, how i knew exactly but i knew nico robin was going to join the crew but like this this is so unconventional where it's like again you didn't you didn't have the established like oh we're looking for a navigator Here's Nami. She didn't get her flashback yet, but she, we got the declaration, right? We need a swordsman. We uh, we need a doctor. I think Usopp, what I think was the last character, they didn't establish we need this character, right? Was Usopp the last yeah. one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but Usopp got such a crazy attention to character and build up where it's like, okay, this makes sense. Like, I wasn't surprised. But the way it was presented, if I didn't know the fact that Nico Robin did, did join the Straw Hats at some point, that... Yeah, I wouldn't have expected this to happen where I'm like, oh, she's saved by Luffy and therefore 
she's joining because apparently she suffered a great deal, which I'm still not sure exactly what she means by that. But again, she knows more than we do. She has ulterior motives. She can read ancient language poneglyph, whatever that is. And she's aware of the will of D. So I think that ancient knowledge, that ancient thing might come hand in hand with the will of D and like it's path, it's, it's role in the past. I don't know at this point, but I'm excited. Cause I'm like, okay, we didn't establish, we need an archeologist or some point, but Hey, we got one and she's a really interesting fire. So yeah. yeah. Dope. Nico Robin. <laughs> yeah. And that basically wraps it up. We did the straw hat ranking last week and you had already read the whole arc. So I'm going to assume that stays the same, presumably with Robin at the very bottom. Right. Uh, yeah, because she's the newest member. We're literally, yeah, if literally where it's like, okay, what's your resume for what you've done so far with the straw hats? I said I was gonna be a part of the straw hats. Okay, so you're at the bottom. (laughs) Um, you are, she is beneath Sanji, giggity, but at the same point, (laughs) he would love that, wouldn't he? Yeah, I bet he would, right? He got awfully defensive again when she said, You made me suffer a great deal, Luffy. And he was like, How dare you do something? It's like, Sanji chill dude shut up Sanji. Uh, you're like goddamn just shut up sometimes okay again again it reminded me of the conclusion to mr two's fight where it's like i really hope that comes back at bite him in the ass just because again i feel like it's more toxic than funny anyway um sanji is the bottom but he is a straw hat he is no longer like shit tier for me with a good introduction like he's he's still at the bottom but he's good um i think it gets really fuzzy after that though because it's like it's an amalgamation of all, all the straw hats, except for Nami. Nami is like a clear number one, in case it wasn't obvious yet. Yeah, I think as of last week, you had it Nami, Luffy, Usopp, Zoro, Usopp? Chopper, Sanji. Yeah, I think I want to yeah. flip Chopper and Zoro, even though, because the, the, the honeymoon phase after the Hawkeye moment is kind of going away for me at this point. And I already told you I prefer characterization and complex resource fights rather than like your traditional shonen fights. Nothing wrong with those. Don't get me wrong. But Zoro's honeymoon phase with Hawkeye with that great declaration, it's kind of lowering at this point where I'm like, okay, Zoro's a little lower. Chopper had the fun resourceful fight with Usopp. And he's again, Chopper's a really funny guy. Um, so I know it sounds weird, right? You like Chopper more than Zoro. And it's like, unfortunately, yeah, that's just how I like characters. I like characters that just, have potential and characterization to go for. It's not unfortunate. Um, Everyone has their different preferences for straw hats. Okay. Sorry. I'm just used to a different audience where it's like, how dare you think that? Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think what would definitely change that again is they keep referring to, you know, Toshigi and smoker constantly being a nuisance. And they are very clear, obvious that Zoro cannot fight Toshigi for personal reasons that we know. So there could be a moment in the future where they are literally forced to fight and then he literally cannot beat her because he is way too distracted or like something, you know, like, you know, like uh, skeletons in the closet type of deal where it's like bad history is coming up, bad trauma. So I don't know, like maybe that could be a good moment for him and that could be a, a next little challenge because to me, if someone like Zoro is going through like, oh, I must get stronger. I've seen that before over and over again in Shonen. Like, it's, it's fun and fine. It's why we love Shonen. But I personally ask for something a bit more. Something a bit more personal. It's why, you know, Arlong Park is still my favorite arc, even though Alabasta just happened. Because it was the, the whole arc was the characterization of Nami and delivering what I wanted arcs ago. So with that being said, 
when does Nico Robbins moment Arlong Park happened? That's what I want to know. Cause we're getting similar kind of vague introduction where it's like, she's joining the crew, but she's kind of, you know, unsure or no, she's sure. But in this case, she's sure, but the straw hats are unsure themselves. And obviously they're hostile to her. Cause she's no, she's a Barack works agent for fuck's sake. So I'm thinking, are we getting Arlong Park 2.0? Hopefully. We Maybe. We'll see. I hope so. So if people want to talk One Piece with you up to this point and no further, where could they find you? They can find me on Twitter at Jacob Miranda. Uh, tweet memes, uh, like things, ask questions, you know, simple things. Um, I'm actually thinking on a personal level, I think I need to leave some Facebook groups that I'm in, like some messenger groups, because they're sharing memes, memes about One Piece, and it's some Ooh, stuff yeah, that I've never seen yet. But it's like personal friends that we know, and messenger is like, yo, you, this person left the group, and they're all going to get really personal, and it's like, dude, just stop sharing One Piece shit. Um, yeah. like, like, share me memes from Arlong Park, or something like that, from Alabasa. I'm, I'm caught up to that point. However, if you do have genuine questions, and you, you're really trying to make sure they're not accidentally spoilerific on accident because we we have our moments where can they find you justin you can find me to talk anything one piece or really just anime in general on youtube and twitter at jitsu that's j-i-t-s-z-u and what's next arc four yes next week we're going to be reading the entirety for a nice change of pace again after these two weeks of alabasta of oh. jaya which is 19 chapters so starting at 218 covering up through chapter 236 236 yeah definitely a big change of pace because this part two was what 38 chapters 37 chapters it felt like a lot so yeah because it was a big climactic arc kind of culminating a bunch of previous arcs so there was a lot of stuff there a lot of characters moving around and oh yeah alabasta yeah, end of the day, uh, Alabasta is my second favorite arc so far. Um, the characterization wasn't as strong as Arlong Park because obviously heavy bias towards Nami, and plus that was just done beautifully with also a great villain and great action and everything. This had better plot, better action overall. Each character had some good fights with the exception of Nami's fight, unfortunately. And the characterization was focused primarily on Vivi, a side character, an honorable member of the Straw Hats, which is fine, but again... If it focuses more on the characters I personally love, I'm going to have a much more strong like. So Arlong Park still number one. Alabaster, though, is a good, strong number two. I don't see it being usurped anytime soon. That's fair. And I <sighs> guess that's it. Chapter 218 to 236 again for those of you reading along or rereading. Thank you guys so much for listening. Catch you next Thank week. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs>